Hello, and welcome to the Shea Hates Everything podcast, where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today, I hate having to reschedule the podcast recording and then having painters right outside when we finally get around to it. So are they still out there? It seems that they have left. Okay. But I say that in preface of if you hear banging, that's why, but we couldn't delay recording any longer, and I'm frustrated about it. Uh, well, my name is Kyle, and today I hate mm. the crushing weight of having three jobs. So we're both in good moods yeah, today. Yeah, great moods. Uh, the, the best mood to record, <laughs> you know, um, last possible minute to record. So, yep. um, Well, I mean, we're already late. We, yeah, we're, we could yeah. just, like, we could wait forever to record it. It's already going up a day late, and apologies for that. My dad was in town this past weekend, so we weren't able to record. And I was like, hmm lose out on three hours of hanging out with my dad so I can upload the episode on Monday or wait until he leads an episode and upload it on Tuesday. So that's the direction we went. Well, hey, so, you know what? Sorry, Monday, sorry. Monday was President's Day, so it was a holiday. Right. We couldn't upload on Monday. Yes, because it's not like I was at work anyway, so it's not a holiday. Oh, I wasn't at work. I work at a school. We don't go to work. Yeah, you guys get like 50,000 days off a year i get five adulthood sucks (laughs) you also get like sick days and stuff right or is it five pto no no we have like five holiday days okay and then i i mean i get like pto days and i think i have separate sick days i don't know i haven't used any of it yet i've only been at my job for a month i'm not gonna start taking days off right well Well, i Speaking of sick days and taking days mm-hmm. off, I unavoidably could not go to work because I was sick starting. Again? Yeah. Uh, so literally, like, we recorded the pod last podcast on, like, a Saturday, I think. And then sure. I was like, I woke up Sunday morning. I was kind of, like, tickle in my throat. It's kind of like, eh, whatever. Probably from talking a lot on the podcast yesterday. And then Monday rolled around. And I decided to take a personal day because I was like not ready to go back to work at all. So <laughs> one of my three personal days I will use because I didn't use any last year, and they gave me like uh-huh. a little bonus for not using any. But I was like, it's not a, worth it. It's it's paltry in comparison <laughs> to the ability to not have to go in on any given day. Absolutely. Um, so I took a personal day on Monday, but I still had rehearsal that night um, because my co-director was sick, and so I was covering for her. Um, and at that rehearsal, like my voice was gone. Like I like Mm -hmm. could barely get words out and my throat felt kind of like it was swollen and closing up and I couldn't breathe super well. Um, and so I was like, this isn't very good. So I called off on Tuesday and it was just getting worse and worse and like not being able to breathe well, having zero ability to like talk uh beyond like like that was the only yeah. sound i could make um wednesday was a snow day nice um and thursday i was not better so i was off thursday and then i was talking to my boss and i was like look i want to i really want to try and come in on friday and she's like well have you gone to the doctors yet i was like no i was going to go on wednesday and then it snowed so i didn't want to drive mm-hmm. in the like bad roads and then i should have gone yesterday and i didn't <laughs> and, and she's like well just go to the doctors on friday so i scheduled the doctor's appointment went in and he's like yeah just general viral gunk that was my Ugh. diagnosis from my doctor was general viral gunk 
um, which is better than the flu that was going around. Because sure, apparently absolutely. everyone got the flu shot and it was not covered under the flu shot. So I'm glad I didn't. Even yeah, it was like a special that. strain, of like yeah. a an even more violent strain. Like this has been one of the more working in healthcare. I hear people talking about it. This is one of the worst flu seasons we've had in quite a long time. Like yeah. lots of people dying from it. It's been crazy. Right. So I, d- I was not in school to get the flu because I already had some other viral stuff. And so I was out for the entire week. <laughs> and, yeah. then, um, and then a Monday rolled around. I was feeling a lot better. But we it was a teacher in service on Friday. So I didn't have like work on Friday. And like mm. a few of our kids were out sick all week. So like my workload was lighter than normal. So my whole mm-hmm. week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, was easier than normal. And then I had off Friday, and then today we're recording this on President's Day. We have off for that. So, like, I'm coming off of – in the past two weeks, uh, I have worked four days. I've worked all of all of the regular days. Yeah. I haven't had any of the regular days off. It's just been working. Yeah. Um, all, all of this yeah. just to say that I still feel overworked, and I only worked four days. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're the worst. <laughs> you are terrible. No, I get it though, because you like you work at school, you go to school, and then you have rehearsal in the evening. It's a lot, and then there I also a lot of hours that you're all the groups. In. Yeah, yeah, on the weekends yeah. and stuff. And, and people yeah. have been I get crazy it. with that right now. And like, it, it's frustrating. The the scheduling the groups and stuff is the most frustrating part because like I have to check with like six other calendars that other people keep themselves to make sure nothing's going on and will conflict and like, I'll have to work around Mm -hmm. and stuff and everybody's bad at getting back to me every time. And Mm -hmm. so it's just like, it Mm -hmm. takes forever. Um, but yeah. So anyway, that's hate that shit. That's stupid. (laughs) Speaking of the theater, I actually went and saw a friend of mine and of Kelly's in a musical like last week or two weeks ago. And it had, this has been the first time that I've gone and seen live theater in quite a while. Okay. And it made me miss theater. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, when I moved to Atlanta, I came here to pursue television film acting. Like, I didn't want to do stage as my main, whatever, acting experience. But there's a part of it that I really enjoy, especially, like, musical. And I'm not, like, I am not a musicals person at all. I don't give a shit about musical theater or the Tonys or anything. I'm the same way. But I like being in musicals. Like, those were some of my most fun experiences in high school and in college performances. But anyway, it was just cool to go. And she kicked ass. I mean, she's been on Broadway before, done tours and cruises and stuff. And she, like, Kelly and I were talking about it. There are some people that have it, you know? Like, they have that it factor that your eyes just kind of are drawn to them on stage. And you just know, like, I don't know. They're just kind of effortlessly attention grabbing and she kind of has that it factor and so it was just really fun it was uh dirty rotten scoundrels which i've never seen um yeah me neither i could not tell you the name of her character but it it was like a side character she was in the ensemble but she played a side character where she was like uh this southern rich woman kind of a thing uh she just kicked ass it was really fun it was really really fun to go and see some actors act i enjoy that yeah um and I guess speaking of actors acting, so we have some like video games and stuff to talk about, but the hot new release, which we have both seen, we should talk about, which is Black Panther. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and reading through the show notes, I got that general vibe from you, the, oh, yeah, vibe. 
So I'll throw you I'll throw you under the bus first to talk about Black Panther. So what did, right. what did you think there, Kyle? Without going into spoilers, because <laughs> obviously the movie just came out a couple days ago. Yeah. So. Um, I, just, I, I felt like it was middling and average kind of at the best points in it. Um, I think the things it does well, I'll start with those. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's like a, a very progressive premise in that it's almost an entirely black cast and mm-hmm. all, they used a lot of um, human resources from uh, parts of Africa and a lot of like uh, they consulted people culturally on a lot of sure. things and like tried to be as accurate in their implementation as possible, which is really cool. I thought that stuff came across pretty well um, right. and didn't seem like tropish or anything or, or kind of like um, like hackneyed. Um, I thought all of that, like the, the cultural aspect of the movie was very rich. Um, I also thought that the style of the movie was awesome. Like all like the, the visual style of it, like yeah. how everything looked because it was that mix of like future tech and traditional African culture. And I thought that stuff, they did some really cool creative things in blending those together. I also, some of it was a little nonsensey sci-fi, but yes, but like I, it looked cool. I in general liked it. I think I liked it more in theory than in practice. Like there's a lot of really cool stuff. Like you're talking the technology with the more tribal feel. Yeah. A lot of that melds really well together, but some of the technology, which is probably my largest complaint about the film and, and overall is they really leaned into the techie stuff in a frankly, really dumb way. Like a lot of the technology is just stupid. Sure. Uh, and so well, that it, was kind of like, ugh. well, and so, all right. So my defense of that is that this stuff was developed in a bubble, almost literally. Yeah, but it's not even like how it looks or functions. Just like from a f- like a writing filmmaking perspective, it's just dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, the every five seconds there's a new Dusex Machina that gets you out of the problem. It's like, oh, he's dealing with this issue. Here's this piece of technology that I magically have that fixes that problem. Yeah. And that's how they solve every single problem is via some random one-off piece of technology that they only use one time to solve that one particular problem. And there's right. more than one instance of they introduce a piece of technology that they don't even use in the movie. Yeah. Which is like, come on. I, I don't know. It, I, I thought the, the writing on. was far and away the weakest part of the film, aside from the villain. Um, I thought the villain and the writing were the two worst parts of the See, whole See, I liked Michael B. Jordan. What did you really? not like about him? I thought yeah. he was, like, he just came across as some fucking loser punk the whole time. I think that was kind of the point. He felt very dichotomous to me from this more. But like, regal that's not a culture. compelling villain. Mm, maybe. I mean, his argument, the reason why he's doing what he's doing, is stupid as hell. Right. And like, he's a moron for believing what he believes. Yes. And it's very unjustified, too. Like, his anger Agreed. at specific people for specific things is very unjustified and irrational. But just as, like, as a character and acting wise. I liked his portrayal of Killmonger because he was so different than everyone else that was on screen. That I really liked. Because he represents, like, inner city black guy. 
Like yeah. he really, they really lean into that culture, which is like directly in the face of the Wakandan culture, which is very like monarchical, ancient, very regal and upstanding, and everyone's fairly formal. And then he comes in, he's like, "Yo, what's up? What's up? Like, what's good?" Like, I really liked that mix. Like, they really butted heads, which was justified in the story too. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. It so, something about it didn't work for me, and I mm-hmm. thought, I, I think we just probably have differing opinions on his portrayal because I just thought sure. he he just came across to me. He just came across as like a whiny little bitch the whole time. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I won't also, disagree with that. <laughs> like the two white characters. So I had to talk, I uh-huh. went and saw it with my friend and we were talking about it after the movie and it made me realize why they even had Martin Freeman in it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. was because he was in whatever Avengers something. He's already been in a movie. Civil War. I didn't even yeah. remember that. Um, so yeah. I guess that's why they shoehorned him in. Um, and also so was, um, Oh, Andy Circus. Yeah. Andy Circus. Thank you. He was also in one of the other movies. Yeah, he didn't it, even really serve. Like he, there was no real reason. There was for no him reason he was movie. in this movie. There was zero yeah, there, reason there, for him to be. There in was it. there was some conflict that he drove because of his past actions that took place in Civil War and even previous to that. There was some conflict between two of the characters because of his actions. But from a plot perspective, he didn't really serve a ton of purpose. And right. certainly Martin Freeman had no reason to be in this movie. It was just right. because he was in Civil War. He had a relation to Black Panther, and so they kept... I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that. I love Martin Freeman. I thought Same. he was good in this. I but, kind uh, of yeah, almost he was, he wish was that the movie was just all black actors, though. Like, these two white dudes, they just shoehorned into it. I kind of would have almost preferred that it be an entirely black cast, because that would have made the message yeah, and a I little mean, stronger to me. Right. And, yeah, and I don't want to, like put myself into the mindset of the writers or producers and like figure out what they were trying to do. But I think it was very deliberate to have him in there as a white guy who was not a villain, I think is important for the perception of the movie. Okay. Cause I, I think it would be very easy for white people to go see this. And a lot of the themes of the movie are about the oppression of black people in history. Right. A lot of which were caused by white people, and the movie certainly doesn't spare any blame on white people for those things. Right. I they think never had explicitly the only... come out and say white people, but it's like those right. in power. Yes. Right. Yeah, they it, use colonialists yeah, you know they and Americans. It's yeah. very thinly veiled that they're talking about white folks, which right. like is like, fair. I'm not denying. Fair. Yeah. Yes. But uh, it leans into that pretty heavily, and I think if the only white person in the movie was also a villain that's not a great look and just makes it easy for people to find offense i think them having a white guy in this that is i mean he's not like a main character he's pretty superfluous but he's a good guy like he's not only with the good guys but he is a decent human being i think is important to balance that cultural perspective that that would be my assumption but uh, that's not based on anything other than intuition okay um, that being yeah, said, I, he didn't I need to be that. in the movie <laughs> right. from a story perspective. Right, yeah. I, I can see what you're saying there. That that makes yeah. more sense to me. Um, I thought the music was really good. Like, all that, mm-hmm. like, again, more tribal, ancient African culture stuff. But then yeah. sometimes they would mix in this, like, hip-hop, like, inner-city stuff, like you were saying, because right. of, you know, the, the villain being from that area. And, you know, they want to mm-hmm. tie it in thematically with those two worlds combining. Um, I thought that was complete shit. Uh, but I, that's not wow. my style of movie or that's sure. not my style music, of music. Yeah. Um, 
And so, like, it just pulled me right out of it. And because, like, I feel like See, or- orchestral music isn't, like, I wouldn't sit and listen to orchestral music. But, like, when it's used in a movie setting, like, there's... All right. Don't take this the wrong way, anybody listening or you. Oh, boy. But, like, or like orchestrating something takes talent and, like, musical ambition and, like, just a, a fuckload of talent. Anybody mm-hmm. can like drop some beats and so like that's why that music doesn't appeal to me and then like mixing it into like this more like culturally i guess all right so hip-hop is culturally culturally expressive but like the like in its roots the african cultural expression of that type of music like with the drums and the chanting and Mm -hmm. um and they even had some of the dancing and stuff in there too like that stuff feels culturally rich and diverse Mm -hmm. and different and like the hip-hop stuff just it has always to me felt like anybody can do it you know i think that's i mean i would say that's maybe an oversimplification of like hip-hop music with the beats and stuff i definitely i don't typically enjoy that kind of music either and a lot of it is because it lacks a lot of that musicality and it's more about beats and i mean i'm a drummer as are you like i like beats but there's there seems to be there's like less depth maybe yeah to hip-hop music less musical there are less layers than to a lot of other genres yeah which like i'm not saying that that's a bad thing or a good thing i just happen to enjoy that less i disagree though i really liked when they melded that hip-hop with the more tribal stuff because i think those genres go really well together and i like the it was, it's like the combination of the tribal visual with the technology visual. This felt similar, where it was like the old and the new kind of mixing those two cultures together that I really liked. Okay. On the other hand, the more like the more normal orchestral cinematic stuff in this, I did not like. I liked the tribal stuff. I liked the hip-hop stuff. I didn't like the quote-unquote normal movie music in this. Okay. There were a couple emotional moments and like a big action sequence that was scored with like more regular brass and violins and stuff that I thought was just really poorly composed that I just really didn't hmm. enjoy. Okay. Um, but the stuff that like stands out and the stuff that you see in the trailer, like that style of music, I really thought fit the aesthetic really well. Okay. But at a core level, I mean, there's obviously lots of positives and negatives that we disagree on some stuff. Like as a movie, just the actual narrative of the film, the writing, the story it's trying to tell, I found it very underwhelming yeah straight up boring at times oh, yeah. it was really it felt so long and unnecessarily long there were like i thought there were a lot of a lot of jokes that did that not land, land at all but for like, me. like again okay so i was in a I watched it in a theater and the majority of the people in the theater were uh black folks and Same. they thought it was hilarious so apparently those jokes do work just not on us uh, there, there were there were They're multiple occasions okay. where I mean, in, yeah, the theater that I was in was vast majority, like, black men and women, like, all different age ranges, too. Okay. And 
there were several jokes that happened that got some laughs that I didn't get where I was clearly like, this is just a cultural difference here. Like, I don't have a frame of reference for this humor. Sure. But I will also say that there were plenty of jokes that I was watching where I was like, I know this is supposed to be a joke. I don't think it's funny, but I know it is a joke that didn't land with people. So there seemed to be mixed reactions from the group of people that I saw the movie with too. But to be fair, like there were two two funny moments that I can think of that I did really like. It's just that a lot of it fell flat to me. And I don't like, I honestly, I can't say if it's just that they were poorly designed from the start, or if there is that cultural difference that I don't understand. Like I look at Tyler Perry movies and I don't get those at all. Right. But there are a lot of people that can identify with those backgrounds and those characters and those stories that love those movies. I'm just not one of them. I don't know if it's a case of one versus the other. I don't know if it's just bad jokes or I just don't have that frame of reference to get them. Right. But either way, like, that doesn't... And I'm not saying every movie has to be tailored for me, but I didn't enjoy it because of that. And I think that that's okay if other people did enjoy it. Yeah. I think as an attempt to make a mass market superhero action movie starring vast majority black characters... I respect for what, what Black Panther was trying to do. I look at it much the same as I do Wonder Woman, where like I really appreciate its cultural societal significance, and I want to see more movies like this. Like I would like to see a sequel to Black Panther. I'm not confident that yeah. the writers could do it again. I'm not confident that the director could do it again because those were the pieces I didn't enjoy. But like purely on a base level. I would like to see more from this character. I would like to see more from these other expanded characters in this universe. But just as a movie, I just didn't enjoy it. I mean, I enjoyed Wonder Woman way more than I enjoyed Black Panther, that's for sure. Yeah, and see, I feel like a Black Panther sequel could be really good because mm-hmm. a lot of this movie was like some kind of setup and exposition stuff that they don't have sure. to worry about in a sequel. And I thought that was some of the most boring stuff in this movie. Well, were yeah, those kinds agree. of like relationship crafting where now they have a host of characters with past relationships they can build off of and they can just like go do more fun fighting tech shit uh, in the sequel. Yes, but the more I think about it, like there are things that were inherent to this movie, like to this to Black Panther that I don't like. Like a lot of the technology I just do not enjoy. I think it is so stupid. And like in some of the characters too, the... The uh, Black Panther's little sister, who's like the scientist, I hated her character. I found her to be so annoying. So, I don't know. Maybe I don't want a Black Panther sequel. It's just, I don't know. I The whole time, I was trying to like it. I legitimately was trying to like the movie. And I just didn't. Yeah. And that bums me out. Yeah. I mean, like, my friend and I kind of left the theater, like, he, he was like, oh, my mom really wanted to go see it, so now I have to go watch it again. And, Ooh, and that sounds terrible. Yeah, and he was like, I do not want to do that. <laughs> I do not want to watch it again. <laughs> I was like, I don't blame you. I wouldn't want to watch it again either. Like, I'm glad I saw yeah. it. Um, and, you know, like, again, if there are people who derive, like, something meaningful from this, I think that's awesome. But I didn't mm-hmm. – I thought they felt – they fell a little short of the mark in a lot of departments. Yeah, um, I would agree. Yeah. And, so you know, I'll some, of a, it, uh, some of it may be – legitimate universal criticism and some of it may just be me not getting it but there it is and i think either way is fair just at a core level you just didn't happen to like it like right it it is what it is you don't have to like everything just like not everything needs to be made for you to like 
Uh, so I see some more anime on your list. So how about you tell me about the anime you've been watching? <laughs> sure. Um, all right. So that Kino's Journey anime that uh, my fiance and I were watching, where he's like going to a different country every episode. We finally finished that one. And it had like a really weird ending where it was kind of like it was open and not a lot of closure for the ending. So I looked up like the previous lineage of like the manga and any previous media. Um, and that's where this story got even a little weirder. So <laughs> this is kind of like a reboot of a previous anime and I don't remember the name of it, but that oh, anime what? had a full season and like a lot of the same episodes, but in a different order and certain episodes actually spanned multiple episodes. They're expanded upon. Um, and there were even like a couple of like hour long, they call them OVAs, like basically movies um, of the mm-hmm. anime that were released in Japan. Um, and then they like made this thing, this weird newer <laughs> version of it that was like trimmed down and like, I don't like not as well received, I guess, as the original okay. thing, which is bizarre. Um, so yeah, that was super weird. Um, I, I watched. <laughs> I don't like saying the title because it makes me feel like an <laughs> idiot. Um, Darling in the Franks and it, or all Franks. Right. I think it's Franks. And it's F-R-A-N-X-X, all caps. Of course it is. And it's a, it's a mech thing where it takes a dude and a chick. Of course it is. <laughs> there has to be a guy and a girl in each mech to pilot them. And the, oh, man, yeah. it's so dumb. It's so dumb. Like, the girl's in this suit. And on her on her legs, she basically the the setup is like doggy style intercourse. Like she's nice. on her hands and knees oh, yeah. <laughs> in front of him, and then like these little handlebars come off of her ass, and the guy no. grabs them and like steers. No, and they have to like both be on the same wavelength, and like they share a mind while they're flying the Franks. Um, Kyle, you watched porn. It, you watched anime porn. It, but all right, so here's the part where it's not porn: is their <laughs> children that, or they were they were no. When, no, they were they were raised as children only to pilot these fronks. So they have no concept of like what sex is or like what kissing is even. So like they have no okay. concept of what it means. So there's no sexual charge, but there's okay. sexual charge for the viewer. For the viewer, yeah. right? But like not with the characters. Like that would be but extra these, weird. To clarify, before the FBI comes knocking, these are not children that no. are doing this. They're like teenage, like high school. They're consenting. Age. They're consenting adults in the, in the eyes of Japan's law, which is sixteen or seventeen <laughs> or something, probably. Right. Okay. I don't know, man. It's super weird, but it's actually like the the fighting is really well choreographed and drawn, and like those sequences are really cool. Just all the stuff surrounding it is so anime tropey <laughs> and like ri- right. eye rolly, ridiculous. Right. Um, and just saying the name makes me feel like an idiot. So I was watching Darling that. in the Franks. Um, I started the King's Game, which is another anime. I was not expecting. What happened? Because the thing about Crunchyroll is they have direct Japanese to English translations of what the show is about. And sometimes it just gives you what the first episode's thing is. And it was like, oh, so-and-so's character isn't getting along or just moved into town. And there's something that's been following him. And I was like, okay, it's like something about his past, whatever. 
and I start the thing, and like all the kids get the same text message, and the and the main character's like, oh, it's happening again, and it's like orders from this from the king, and all the mm-hmm. kids in the school have been uh, entered into the king's game. If they don't follow mm-hmm. his orders within the timeline, the things he tells them to do, then he then they die, like. And it's, like, supernatural deaths. So it's not, like, something you could feasibly avoid. It's, like, this one dude doesn't have sex with this other chick. So in front of everyone at the, like, hangout, he, like, blood sores begin forming across his body. And he bleeds from every orifice and all these sores. And then, like, his shriveled body falls to the floor in front of them. Like, shit like that. So it's like that unavoidable stuff. Yeah. And like, so it's like, you know, high school. Yeah. It's just basically high school. And then it's like, oh, there's another order where these two characters have to hang them. Or yeah, these two characters will hang themselves by midnight because if they don't voluntarily, then they'll be made to do it. And so like they don't voluntarily do it. And then the main guy like looks away for a second and then he looks back and the dude's gone. And he chases into the other room and the dude like hung himself like a like something about the supernatural aspect of it, like warped his mind to make him go ahead and do it since he wouldn't so do it why, willingly. Why would he have done it willingly if it's going to happen anyway? I don't know. I think there was maybe some other consequence to go along with it. If he didn't do it, I don't remember. Okay. Um, so what, what makes you watch an anime? Oh, like, I stopped watching about that one. Something. No, well, that's fine. But <laughs> what is it about? Like, what intrigues you? Because I'm assuming there are dozens, if not hundreds, of options. Oh, my God. There's so many. It's just, like, Like the the look. The look of it. Like, the art style. If it seems appealing or, like, like interesting or different, I'll try Mm -hmm. and watch it. Um, And sometimes, like, I'm just in the mood to watch a bunch of schoolgirls argue about boys. So I'll watch that. Um, I'm always in the mood for that. <laughs> yeah, when are you not? Um, I mean, if you're in the mood for that, varies. you should watch some of the shows that Kelly watches. Yeah, but like, like in uh, G- uh, Gilmore Girls and yeah. Gossip Girl, anything right. that ends with girl. guilty pleasures. Um, and so, so like the the thing to realize for people who don't watch anime is the scope and breadth of the anime library at this point is just as wide as any other television format. So like television or movie formats, like there's an anime about everything. Like there's one about prohibition. That's like really self serious. And um, there's like a lot of like dodging the law and like gang warfare and stuff. I think that's, I think that one's called 91 days and it's really, really good. Um, so there's all sorts of different tones, visual styles, like it covers sure. everything and it's not all set in Japan. There's stuff set elsewhere and it's not all mechs and robots It's a bunch of different shit. So mm-hmm. I just, I try to pick different stuff and like get a wide range of things. And then sometimes I'm just in the mood for high school bullshit. Um, <laughs> and the last anime bit, uh, mm-hmm. giant bomb, Giant Bomb's own, Dan Reichert and Jeff Gerstmann, started watching Dragon Ball Z Kai, because neither of them have Mm -hmm. ever watched the original Dragon Ball, just, like, they have bits of knowledge they've absorbed through, like, osmosis of other people around them talking about it and, like, media. That's basically like me. Yeah, same I don't think I've ever seen an entire episode, but I know character names because I've heard friends talk about it my whole life. And so the deal with Dragon Ball Z Kai is the people who made the show went back and stripped out all the unnecessary episodes. Um, All the charge up? Yeah, so it's all, like, it's, like, distilled Dragon Ball Z. Um, 
So I, I haven't really been into a like Saturday morning cartoon in a while. And this, mm-hmm. I've been watching this again. And like they they're doing like a weekly podcast on like five episodes at a time. Uh, and it reminds me of why I really love Saturday morning cartoons, but then also why I get burned out on them really fast. Um, cause I'm only on like episode 12, but there's already been a three episode fight arc and this is distilled. <laughs> yeah. There's already been a yeah. three episode fight arc where the main guy, Goku is just flying, like trying to get someplace. He's like flying mm-hmm. a million mile thing. And it's just him doing that for three episodes while these other guys get their asses beat like waiting for mm-hmm. him it's like three whole episodes so like <laughs> i can't even imagine what that must have been like on a weekly saturday morning cartoon like it must have been like for two sure. months of time um of that same thing so i don't know i like i'm enjoying it because the show has a lot of like really unique personality to it and like some fun characters and stuff that are getting introduced at a decent clip um it's just real strange it's real i don't there's yeah. not a whole lot out there like it it's real strange um, yeah, I, I've, since they've been doing this and they've been talking a bit about Dragon Ball on the podcast as well, cause the new, you know, Dragon Ball Fighter Z game came out and I mean, I, like I never watched Dragon Ball. I was never interested as a kid and, uh, I definitely like missed that path because all my friends in junior high and high school would talk about all their fun memories of Dragon Ball. And so them talking about it on the podcast, knowing that this Kai thing is available where it's significantly shorter than the full series. I'm like, ah, maybe I should watch some Dragon Ball. But then I look and like, oh, it's nine seasons with like yeah. 18 discs. Like, fuck no, no, I'm still not doing it. No, no, right. no, it's still, it's just too much. It's too much. It's a lot. It's I, a lot. That, that boat has sailed. Dragon Ball will never be a thing for me, unfortunately. Yeah. And this isn't anime, but it is animated. Um, so Olin Rogers, who's who started Wait, out... Wait, why? Oh, okay. I thought you were saying Dragon Ball isn't no, anime. No. I'm like, what then? What the <laughs> hell is anime? I feel like Dragon Ball is the most anime of It's its anime. own genre. Um, <laughs> so Olin Rogers is a YouTuber. I started watching him years and years ago. He does, like, funny stories and, like, occasionally would do, like, sketches and, like, did all these special effects for this, like, sci-fi theme series he was doing. Um, yeah. It's a really talented guy. And I've just, like, I've bought into Olin specifically like his personality how he speaks the way he tells stories he's just a really naturally funny and charismatic guy um Mm -hmm. so i like really bought into olin and like his story and he came up with an idea for an animated show called final space and he pitched it he was pitching it to different places and he pitched it to, to tbs and actually conan's um production studio conan o'brien's studio picked it up um cool and so conan actually does a voice in it um other voice actors are tom kenny fred armison david tennant steven yun uh, keith david john dimaggio andy richter ron perlman gina torres like it's an all-star cast of voice actors mm-hmm. it's crazy um and then of course olin himself and one of his friends um mm-hmm. it's the first two episodes are streaming for free on tbs's website um, I'm not sure when they like the full season stuff kind of airs, but it's hilarious because it's clearly the brainchild of Olin. Like it's it, it's just rife with his personality, has his like signature humor style all over it. Like okay. instead of like get off my back, he's like lay off my cheeks, like stuff like he just <laughs> has like funny phrases for everything. Yeah. Um, and it's just like bing bang boom. And I thought it was gonna be like more of a kids show. But it's super not because there's a scene where the villain played by David Tennant um, is like mind 
power crushing this dude's bones and his neck snaps and then like you see like blood spray onto David Tennant's Jeez. character's face and, and you're like oh that's a, this show's not a kid's show okay because Is it like, like kitty graphics um it's like it's regular like Saturday morning cartoon animation stuff yeah. Like it's just, it's an animated show, you know. It's got like kind of a fun atmosphere about it, and there's like things look kind of childlike about it too. Like the characters don't look adult; they look childlike. Okay, and so mm-hmm. it's kind of this anachronistic thing of this very serious situations, the way it looks, and then also how Olin's main character reacts to things. Like he's just a real go getter, like ridiculous kind of guy who doesn't get really serious about things and like always plays yeah. things off. Um, and he's just, oh, has such a good energy about it. I, I, I'll say there are like a few lines that aren't delivered perfectly. Some of the pacing isn't perfect, but I think it's really enjoyable. And especially as a fan of Olin, who's someone who's followed him for so long to see that he like accomplished this crazy thing with all of mm-hmm. these like A-list actors <laughs> on board. Sure. Uh, some B-list. Um, I mean, it's. It's crazy. I mean, I'm just like just super proud of him and like everything he's accomplished. So that's been really cool to see come to fruition. Um, and what's it called? Final Space on TV. Final Space. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I will say, like, if you've never seen Olin's stuff before, watch Final Space. And if you like it, then just go watch some of his story stuff on YouTube because he just tells really funny stories from his past and he embellishes certain things to make it funny, but he does them in a in a a charming way. Um, and then I finished is that his YouTube channel too. Olin Rogers, Olin Rogers. Yeah. Hmm. Um, he also has a clothing line. Um, it was Olin okay. Rogers apparel. Oh, I have so that's many so of his random. shirts. I have a, like this, the shirt that I have. That's a sloth with a jetpack. That's one of mm. his, um, the one I have of Han Solo, but with the cat head, that's one of his, <laughs> um, okay. he has a whole star Wars line of like Luke and Leia and Han. Uh, characters i think i just think his clothing looks pretty rad but it's now called uh it's either it's star cadet i think is what it's called now um but if you just look up olin rogers apparel i think it would still link you there but uh and then kara and i finished norseman wrapped up the season um we're really hoping he gets a season two because it's got such a good final episode (laughs) oh man Uh, it's oh that show's so good so yeah, That's what I definitely need watching. to check that out. <clears throat> yeah. Um, How's about guess, you? Yeah, I'm I, still watching some Lost. Uh, I actually, like, slowed down a bit on it just because I've been trying to get some other stuff done. But I, I finished season one. I think I'm two or three episodes into season two, so I'm still in, like, the meat of it being really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm waiting, to, I'm waiting for it to fall off the cliff. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't, like, watching it again, it is, because when I watched it, I, the first time I saw it was after it had already finished. And so I had avoided spoilers for the show somehow over the years. And so I was able to marathon the whole thing. And uh, it's really crazy to look back on how season one ends with so many huge cliffhangers. Like they open up the hatch and Michael's son gets kidnapped on the boat. Like all these fucking crazy mind-blowing things happen. Yeah. And that's just like how the season ends. And it wasn't... And, it, like, it didn't have an effect on me because I was just like, all right, load up season two, episode one. But for people that, like, had to wait nine months <sighs> or whatever it was for the next thing. Yeah, I imagine that was just, like, totally insane. Just, so, like, AOL message boards going crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
so I don't have anything negative to say about Lost yet, but okay. <laughs> it's coming soon. It's coming soon for sure. Um, we also, when Dad was here, we watched a new uh, Seinfeld stand-up called Jerry Before Seinfeld. Hmm. And so this, I-, I thought it was just a new stand-up routine of his, but it's actually more biographical, or I guess autobiographical. Okay. So the whole thing, like most of the bits are things he's done before. So like a lot of, you'll see a lot of his stand-up from Seinfeld episodes, which like you can either enjoy the nostalgia of that or be like, I've seen all this before. I was kind of somewhere in the middle, but it's all framed with like the story of his upbringing and how he got into comedy, which is really cool. So like they do some cutaways of just him talking to the camera about his experience. I'd say like, because of his storytelling ability and just how fun of a story it is, I would love to see a full on autobiography of this, of his kind of entry into comedy and kind of his rise to success, because I didn't get quite enough of that during this. It was like more focus on his bits, which I've seen him a million times watching Seinfeld. So it's still like, I mean, if you like Jerry Seinfeld, it's definitely worth watching. I maybe got less out of it than I kind of wanted to because it like, it isn't new stand up, but it also isn't a full on autobiography. So it's kind of in between, which so it doesn't super succeed at either one, sure. but it's still, I mean, it, it's cool. And, and hearing his stories, his personal stories, of getting into the business are super interesting and also enlightening because that shit does not work the same way nowadays. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, and you hear um, old actors too and directors, producers, like how they got into the industry and like, you know, uh, it's actually a funny story uh, where the shop where Kelly works, one of her coworkers' brother co-founded Adult Swim. Like he helped create Adult Swim. And he started working at uh, Cartoon Network as like in the mailroom and just kept pitching them show ideas, story ideas, character ideas until eventually they were like, all right, we can pay this guy like pennies. Sure, we'll, we'll give him a chance to start making some stuff. And that led to the creation of Adult Swim. Oh, wow. And I'm like, like that's an amazing story. That's really cool. That has a 0% chance of ever happening for anyone ever again. <laughs> I know, No right? one works their way up from the from mail, the mail room. room anymore. Like, <laughs> that's that some just movie doesn't bullshit. Happen. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, you hear that and, like, oh, that's really cool, but it's also bullshit and not fair because <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do that. Fuck you. So, anyway, Jerry before Seinfeld, it's it's a worth a watch for Seinfeld fans. Cool. And then we um, started Godless, which we actually made the mistake of starting the night before Dad got here. So, we only watched the pilot. Uh, okay. Uh, so, I'm looking forward to getting back to it. I will say that it didn't really, like, hook me at all. Um the only reason I like want to keep watching it is one, cause it's only seven episodes. So it's a small investment yeah. and two hearing everybody talk about how amazing it is. It's makes very me want to keep trying. It's very If it good. was, if it was just some random show that we decided to watch, I probably would be like, yeah, I don't care about watching episode two. Like it wasn't bad. It just, I don't know. It didn't really do a whole lot to grab my attention. There's one shot of the, the main dude where he like shoots the snake he does a really cool like gun move, yeah. and that was like the coolest moment from the pilot. Um, I mean, the characters have some sort of interest to them. The story, like, it's still pretty vague about what's happening. Yes. But, like, I guess there's enough there that I'm like, yeah, I'll keep watching it. But to be honest, I'm kind of curious about why it's moved so slowly in the first episode because it's only seven episodes. I'm, I was surprised to see how slow it was moving. It kind of it kind of tells a story that could be told in a movie. 
but this just kind okay. of expands upon it and lets it take its right. own pace. Yeah, um, I, I that's kind of how that. I feel about it. And, and yeah. I, I, I liked that because, you know, enough, enough films do more or less the story that they're trying to tell. Um, sure. Or enough media has in the past that it's nice to see one that takes its time and even kind of fleshes things out around like the periphery of it too, yeah, um, and gives more context for the characters and like allows development of more relationship stuff. So yeah, I think it's sense. I think it's good. Yeah, yeah, I, and I'm we're definitely gonna keep watching it. So part of the nice thing about it being so relatively short, next episode we'll probably have finished it. So I'm sure I'll have more complete thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, also watched a couple other movies besides Black Panther. So when Dad was in town, we went and saw The Shape of Water, which wasn't what I expected it to be. We were we were either going to go see The Shape of Water or The Post, which is The Post came out in like January. Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks. It's about the New York Post and all this political stuff that like it seems like it's really good. It's nominated for Best Picture. But it also seems like a pretty straightforward drama, which was less interesting to me at the time. The Shape of Water is also nominated for Best Picture, but it's a Guillermo del Toro movie. And it Mm. had this like supernatural mystique to it about this woman who is a mute who gets to know this like sea creature man played by Doug Jones, who he works with Guillermo del Toro all the time. He played... I'm pretty sure he played Pan in Pan's Labyrinth. That might not be true. But he does a lot of, like, the creature stuff for Guillermo del Toro. He played okay. uh, Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies, which, ironically enough, this character isn't similar to Abe Sapien in the actual character, but he looks very he similar. He looks kind of like so, him, yeah. yeah so it's the same, same actress, so I thought that was funny. But, like, so... <laughs> Stay with me on this, because this is how I would qualify this movie. Okay. It, if you combine Beauty and the Beast, Romeo and Juliet, Free Willy, <laughs> and like a very straightforward romance movie. Combine those four things together and you get The Shape of Water, which I sounds feel like really I've, bizarre. I feel like but... I don't have to watch the movie now. That's so concise. <laughs> so, like, it's I would quantify it as being a romance movie. It's obviously a little, a little bit different because it's about a mute woman and a sea swamp thing dude. Sure. So that is bizarre. But it's very much because Dad and I were talking about this because he didn't really care for it, which I don't blame him. It's a very odd movie. I'm not surprised he didn't like it. Yeah. But it's like it's a fairy tale. It's that kind of beyond the realm of real imagination. And you really have to just like allow yourself to go into those circumstances. And that makes the things that are happening more acceptable. Yeah. And that is not our father's shit. forte. <laughs> well, <laughs> Opening himself to fantasy <laughs> environs. There's nothing wrong with that. It's no. just it's different structure, different folks. But yeah. like there's a lot of weird shit that happens in this movie where an, in a normal movie you'd be like, that's some bullshit. But <laughs> okay. in this movie, because it's a fairy tale, it's supposed to be beyond reality. Right. You can kind of accept it. I would say that there's, I don't know, I'm not sure yet how I feel about it, to be honest. There was a lot of stuff I liked. I thought the acting was really good. Uh, the cinematography is amazing. Guillermo del Toro does a great job playing with like color and the visual aesthetic. And uh, it has, cause it takes place in the sixties and there's a lot of like French influence. And so like a lot of that, like, you know, uh, 1950s, 1960s French, um, 
like cafe music is playing like okay. that romantic french like ratatouille kind of music yeah uh which i thought really like added a lot to this and there are multiple instances where this woman who's mute is trying to communicate with different people and that kind of manifests in different ways which i think are like really effective and really beautiful in a lot of ways the ending is like like I rolled my eyes a bit because it's a very like romance movie type ending. Sure. But I don't know. It's a really interesting film. I'm, I'm having not seen a lot of the movies that are nominated for best picture this year. I can't speak to like, I think it's amazing or I think it's bad in comparison, but it is like, it's just a weird movie, man. And so I guess like if the description of it sounds interesting and, or you're a fan of Guillermo del Toro's kind of visual style and his filmmaking style, it's worth a watch, but I certainly it was not what I expected. I figured it would be like okay. kind of an offbeat semi comedy about this woman trying to break out the sea creature guy from prison, essentially. And that's part of it, but it's more about their relationship, and that's kind of odd. Um, yeah. There's also a lot of unnecessary nudity, and <laughs> it's weird. So, The Shape of Water, it's weird, basically. Naked Fish Man. <laughs> Well, yes, he of course is naked, but like the the main woman is naked on multiple occasions, and it's just oh. like unnecessary. And like some of it, I guess, is like sexually motivated, but not even all of it is. Sometimes it's just like random nudity. I don't know, man. Guillermo del Toro, man. weird movie. Also, the so, French. Yeah, that's right. Much more open than we are. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Uh, and then two other quick ones. So watched Suburbicon, which I've been hotly anticipating for a while. So it's Matt Damon stars in it with Julianne Moore, directed by George Clooney, co-written by George Clooney and the Coen brothers. And like, I'm not a huge George Clooney fan, but I respect the guy. And so like all of those people together working on something, I was like, hell yes, give me some of that. And I liked it, but again, it was not at all what I expected. And it wasn't what I expected because the trailer's purposefully sold me a different type of movie like in the trailer i don't want to spoil the movie but like in the trailer it seems very much like matt damon is the protagonist in over his head with like the mob and like there are elements of that to the story but that isn't all it is and matt damon's relationship to the different characters is very different in the movie i don't know i just felt like i was lied to a little bit from the trailers okay and the movie that i got inherently was a little less interesting in concept from what i thought it was going to be so which maybe enjoyed a little bit less nothing as crazy as like passengers that that uh jennifer lawrence chris pratt movie that like it seemed like it was this like sci-fi action movie in space and it was actually just like a romance movie and it was complete bullshit and terrible right it's not not that big of a divide (laughs) but it was still like i was watching it with kelly and we were like i feel like this is not the movie we thought it was gonna be so it's it's okay but uh it's not it's not as amazing as the like people involved would make you believe And then I got around to watching Blade Runner 2049. About time. And holy shit, dude, that movie has got some fucking style to it. Yes, it it does. Like it, like the opening sequence, just the visuals and the, the music just like hammers into you. It's awesome. So awesome. The story I thought had some interesting twists to it. Well, I guess we could fucking spoil Blade Runner. It came out in like, six months ago but like i liked how it's set up it it, the story gives you the expectation that k 
Ryan Gosling's character is the son of Harrison Ford's character and this other woman. You right. as a as an audience member get that vibe before k figures that out and so right. then k figures that out and you're like okay now we're all on the same page we're gonna figure this out together and then that isn't the case like it right. totally sweeps the rug under you and it's someone else and he still is the copy which like obviously destroys him and that mentality which i thought that was really well handled yeah it, it, like it, they do a good job of making you feel smart as an audience member that you figured it out before the character and then makes you feel stupid because it's like, <laughs> no, nah, bitch, you didn't figure it out. Right. We tricked you. Yeah. So I really, really liked that from the story. I think like the actual literal narrative of it and the writing of it is maybe a little less interesting. Like it's just not it's not super special and, and very derivative of the original movie, which I guess you can't stray too far because it's such a classic. Right. But, um, I don't know. I, I just thought it was really good overall. Like, I love yeah. how they played with the color in the movie and the different each like the city feels so different than like that countryside. And then that ending sequence where they go to like the bombed out place that like it feels like otherworldly. It's, yeah, it's a really fucking like it was way better than I anticipated. Um, Jared Leto, I thought, was pretty terrible. It would be, like, one of my bigger negative points. I thought his acting was pretty bad. His, it was, like... It reminded me, actually, of um, Jesse Eisenberg in Batman vs. Superman as Lex uh, Luthor. Were, like, not that him, bad. Well, no. But, like, as an actor, he was like, I'm gonna be as weird as I can. Sure. And that was his acting choice, was be as weird as I can. And so that's how it comes across, as being really weird and not an actual human being. Uh... So that kind of, I, I didn't enjoy. Um, but the rest of it, I, like the relationship between Kay and Joy and like that, where like he is close to being a human, but he isn't. And then she is like farther away from being human, but in a lot of ways is more human than he is. Like that is just, was so fucking good thematically. So I, like, I don't know, the more, I, even the more I talk about it, the more I really enjoy it. I have a review up on the site and I'm still putting together my, my top 10 list of like favorite movies. And this one's like right on the border. I'm not sure if it's going to make it or not. Now that I'm talking through it, I feel like it has to be on that it's list. So, good. so uh, we'll see. What, yeah, what do you think? Really what did you think good. about the holographic sex scene? That fucking blew my it mind. It was incredible. Absolutely. It was, it was incredible. so cool. And like, and it wasn't gratuitous either. Cause yes, no. it was a sex scene, but like, it wasn't overly like we got to earn our, our rating or anything. Right. It was very like subtle, the sexuality piece, but it was more just about like, oh man, it's such a fascinating film about like, cause the original Blade Runner was all about what makes you a person. And that's kind of the theme that they tried to figure out what makes you a person and this one, yeah. I feel like, takes it even a step further. And it's like, as a person, how do you define your own humanity? Like, not what yeah. other people say, but how do you define your own humanity? Which is a right. lot more interesting of a question that I think it handles really well. And that scene in particular, like, oof. Although I will say, the chick that played Joy is one of the most attractive women I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> if I was Ryan Gosling and not like, I don't know the, the, the actress, the other actress who is plays the prostitute that kind of melds with joy. She's a beautiful person too. But if I was Ryan Gosling, I'd be like maybe a little bummed that like, it wasn't only that actress. Cause she's insanely beautiful. But anyway, 
That's that's <laughs> just for anyone curious. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, man, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It was fucking awesome. It's very long. Yeah. It's a very long movie. It, and it feels long, but I don't mean that in a ne- in a negative way. It just it's it feels like a long movie. It's like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like it's just a long ass movie. Right. Yeah. You're you're along for the a lot happens and you're along yes. for the ride. Well, it, yeah. A lot does happen, but there's also a lot where nothing happens. Sure. Where it's just like dead. But, like, but oh, it's just still a silence. Like, oh, absolutely. Still absolutely. Just like extended silence and like whole sequences of just like K is just flying for five minutes and we're just going to show different angles with the music and the this visual aesthetics and it all totally works, but yeah, it feels long. It does. Uh, so I guess that's everything I've been watching, which I, I guess is a lot. Um, I actually haven't been playing that many things because I've been working on getting my top 10 games list finalized. So just real okay. quick, I, I played some more Assassin's Creed. I don't really have a ton to add. I'm like over 40 hours long or over 40 hours in now. And I'm at the point where even though I'm still enjoying doing all the random side missions, I'm ready to finish it. And I'll yeah. probably still come back and do some of the side missions that seemed interesting. But I've been playing it long enough. I've explored every single zone. Like, I've unfogged the entire map. Where I'm just like, okay, it's time to beat this game now. So I'll probably um, do that this week and put up a review. Uh, and then I played Night in the Woods from start to finish since we last recorded. Okay. Um, I have a review of that up on the site as well. It. <clears throat> they talked a lot about it on the Giant Bombcast. And on the top 10 list, like their game of the year stuff. And I can't super disagree with anything they said about like the characters are just very charming. It's got like a cutesy paper crafty kind of visual aesthetic that works really well. It's a, the game really establishes this sense of place. It's it's a very small self-contained game. It only takes place in this small town, Possum Springs, but they really dive into like the backstory of the town, the people that inhabit the town, what makes them tick and all of that works really well together. And the music kind of does a good job of adding to that too. I will okay. say that like as a game, it's a little less effective. Partially because most of what you're doing is pressing square to advance text boxes. Yeah. And like the, the characters are great. The writing's very witty and charming. But that still kind of gets boring after a certain amount of time. Um, yeah. They do break it up a bit with like when, you're, when your character goes... Uh, she falls asleep and you're kind of in dream sequences. There's a little more interactivity where like you're running around a map trying to find things. And then there are little mini games. Like there's a rock band style game that you play with the controller. There's an optional like 2d pixelated kind of top down dungeon crawler game that you can play. There's like a little knife fight mini game where it's kind of side by side and you're just kind of trying to stab another character. And a lot of those, like they do break up that monotony, but none of the mechanics for any of those games work great. Like they all just Mm. didn't feel that good. So it kind of lessens that effectiveness. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a good indie game. Like what it sets out to do, which is to create this world, these characters and kind of tell this story about this, you know, 20 something girl who drops out of college and kind of just her going back to her small town home and living her life. It works as that. But, um, the monotony definitely gets to you because like the whole game is just like day after day after day. And you kind of just do the same thing. Like you wake up, you walk down the street, you talk to this friend, you talk to these other characters, you explore this thing, you talk to this guy and then the next day and you kind of do it all over again. And so that monotony got to me a bit. Uh, 
I think it's deliberate because that's kind of the whole part of the story is like that monotony of small town life and like not giving up on your dreams necessarily. That sounds a lot more negative, but like not kind of going for things and resting on your laurels and like moving back home and not doing anything with your life. That kind of college dropout slacker thing. I think it's deliberate. That monotony is deliberate, but that doesn't necessarily make it a compelling video game. Uh, Sure. But it's good. I mean, it's a good it's a good game. Greg, who plays like the gay best friend, he's like a little yellow fox. He's one of my favorite characters from this year uh, or from last year, I guess. So I enjoyed talking to Greg. <laughs> it was probably okay. my favorite part of Night in the Woods. Uh, so what about right. you? You playing some video games? Oh, yeah. So like I said, I was sick for a whole week. So I had a lot of time on my hands. So that's why I watched a lot and I did play a lot. So I went back. Subnautica finally got a full 1.0 release on PC. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's also available on console, like PS4 or something. I think it's on Xbox. Um, I don't think it's on PlayStation yet, but they said it's coming. Okay. Um, And it's been a long time since I touched the game. Like I haven't played it since one of the initial beta releases, uh, early access stuff. Um, So all that new content has been really exciting to, like, engage with and discover. And they've kind of switched up some of the early game stuff, too, uh, in some fun ways. Um, I still think it's, like, one of the best survival games out there. And especially now, they've added kind of a narrative. And there's, like, an Hmm. end goal. Like, there are things that happen. Okay. um, And I don't want to spoil any of it. But in the giant bomb quick look for it, um, there was this a moment that I did not experience and don't know if I just haven't come across it yet or if it happened and I just wasn't there for it. But, um, yeah, there's a really, really neat moment, um, that was like scripted. Uh, and there seemed to be a few of those, like I'm at the point where I'm trying to get off planet now. Um, and there are certain things I'm trying to do to get off planet. Uh, but it requires me to dig deeper, dive lower, Right. And go into more depth. So I have to craft some like new upgrades for stuff and new suits and machines and stuff to go down deeper. And um, I am absolutely terrified to do that. So I have not played in a few days. Uh, is there an that actual game? Is end? horrifying. Is there an end? I, I to assume. The game? I assume you eventually get off planet because the thing okay, I'm so doing is a way to get off the planet. So it's not like Minecraft, where like you beat the Ender Dragon, but then it's just you go back to the regular game. Like you think there actually is a, a, a an end credits where like you need to start a new so. game. Interesting. Yeah, I would not have expected um, that. And I, I also feel like maybe that's optional. Um, because there's kind of a time frame, a loose time frame they time frame they gave me. So I'm like. Oh, I wonder. Like, if I don't finish this in time, is, am I there? just like stuck on the planet forever? <laughs> that yeah. would suck. Or is it like gonna come back around somehow? Or I don't know. So it's it's pretty interesting. Hmm. And they they they've added a ton of like cosmetic items, like um, like there are posters and stuff. It's like I have all these rooms that don't have any function in my sea base, but are just like this is my science room where I've gathered <laughs> beakers and things from crashed ships. Uh, and, like, microscopes, and there's, like, a, a biohazard disposal unit and stuff in there. Um, and, like, it's just, like, I've had fun just crafting that stuff and messing around with it. Sure. Um, and there's, like, this whole new aspect to the game. Because I played before they even had land masses, and now they have, like, above-water land masses. There are a couple islands you can go to. Um, and so, like, exploring those has been really different, too. Um, I got... Final Fantasy 12 on PC. 
Mm-hmm. And I bought the guide for it on Amazon's Kindle app. Mm-hmm. And so I've had the guide and the game, and I've been playing it on four times speed. The whole thing? The entire thing. <laughs> Almost <laughs> Even every like boss battles and stuff? Wow. Yes. Because <laughs> I was like, four, I have not died a single time in that game. Nice. I have not failed at all. Um, and like, I'm pretty sure, you know, that T-Rex in that opening area, it's like level 30 something. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I fought that way too early and still beat it. Cause I've been like power leveling like crazy. Sure. Like at one point I had a chain of over 600 of nice. the same type of enemy from power leveling. So, um, I was getting like a bunch of money and a bunch of items from that. And then a ton of experience and like light, uh, li- uh job class points and all that, mm-hmm. um, license board stuff. Um, and I remember initially thinking that like the license board was a total knockoff sphere grid from Final Fantasy X, but on like it's not that bad. It's it's not terrible. I'm I'm kind of okay with it. Um, but I will say I don't like the disconnect between your level and your license points because that sure. can be a bit weird. Because like my guys are kind of a low level because I was power leveling this area where they like because the minimum amount of license points that most monsters give you is one. And, but monsters give you varying levels of XP for beating them. Right. So I was grinding in an area that was low level for me, so I wasn't gaining levels quickly, but I was gaining a lot a of lot license, of license points, points quickly. Yeah. So like my guys are really powerful. Like They have thousands and thousands of HP, and they can use all these, these accessories that I haven't come across yet, um, but they're only like level like 25 or 26. <laughs> well, now I think now they're like 30-something. Um I'm like skipping all the cutscenes because it just <laughs> doesn't matter. It doesn't wow. matter. I'm just running through with the guide, That's just funny. messing stuff up, and it's pretty <laughs> good. It's a good, good way to play that game. Um, I did not play it, but I saw that super hot mind control delete the um, uh, like endless or like the um, oh what is that? Uh, like the the randomized level stuff. Um, that version of the game got a new mm-hmm. update that has two new enemy types, uh, which is exactly what I was asking for, like a couple podcast episodes ago. So there are <laughs> cool. new concrete enemies that have only one part of their body is red and the rest is white, oh. so you can only hit the one part of the body. Yeah. And there are new glitched enemies who, um, when they pick up a weapon, whatever weapon they use. When you kill them, you can no longer use that weapon. It's like hmm. red, so you hmm. can't use it anymore. Um, so yeah, so now there's two new enemy types, and like they kind of reworked how the levels spawn and enemies spawn and stuff, and added more stuff to do. Um, so I might revisit that at some point. Uh, I finally started Dishonored Two on PC because, like I said a while ago, I bought Dishonored 2 launch day on PS4 and the frame rate was so bad in the opening area it gave me a headache and I had to stop playing it yeah. so I had purchased it on a Steam sale on PC and just hadn't started it yet um, I will say buying it on PC definitely the best decision I could possibly make because it runs really well <laughs> and like mo- mouse and keyboard aiming is way more accurate for me mm-hmm. um, I still think the combat's pretty clunky I can maybe mitigate some of that by rebinding the keys but who has time and energy for that um, I'm playing as Emily instead of Corvo, uh, and her powers okay. are her powers are pretty cool because they have different sets of powers. Um, but I don't always find myself using them very well in combat. I kind of just because they're very specific and situational, and so I, I feel like I'm never coming across the ideal situation to use them properly. So I just kind of wound up specking more into um, 
the out of combat stuff like the shadow walk and the jump and like the blink stuff um, is she more stealthy than corvo like what's the difference yeah yeah okay. she because corvo has more like offensive stuff her stuff Got is it. like you tag two enemies and what you do to one enemy it does to the other one so like mm-hmm. if you shoot one in the head the other one's head it also explodes okay um there's stuff like that and like shadow walk you like can go through like the mouse grates whereas corvo like actually possesses the mice uh-huh. um and there's like diff- different ways to accomplish similar things um but the shadow walk is really cool because you can pretty much move through areas and as long as you stay in the shadows no one can see you hmm. um and you can like upgrade the range on it and the amount of time you're able to spend in it um a lot of the facial animation is not very good um, yeah it's kind of that that visual style it's not yeah exactly realistic right um and I, I will say, like, everything looks really well, but when it animates, it doesn't always animate very well. Okay. Um, the environments, I think, are just really convoluted um, and, like, not in a good way. I, I think there's room for, you know, labyrinthian environments. You know, play, like a game like Prey, how Prey does it. Um, there's a lot to explore. Yeah. But there's also a good map. This doesn't have a good map. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's really easy to, especially the, the the one level I just played was the one where you're introduced to the clockwork soldiers from the inventor. Um, and that level, cause there are levers and switches in his house and it changes rooms and moves rooms around. That level is a fucking mess. Um, <laughs> and I, that took me so long to get through just cause I was lost trying to get from point A to point B at any given time. I was so confused of you know, where I needed to go. Um, and like there are like quest markers and stuff, but it's like, oh, it's there. How the fuck do I get there? Like that, there's mm. no possible path there. Okay. Uh, and then it's like, oh, you have to like backtrack five things, go down three levels, and go up a tube, and then you boom, you're there. It's like, oh, of course, I should have known that. <laughs> like, no, nah, it's it's very confusing. Um, the voice work's been pretty good, even though some of the facial animation stuff isn't great. Um, it does encourage experimentation and combat and a lot of the problem solving in a way that I kind of appreciate, like finding ways to get around rooms as frustrating as it is to like figure it out. It does encourage you to use your powers and think sure. pretty hard. And so you feel good when you solve one of those situations. And there are generally um, but, like a lot of options, right? Of like, you can solve one thing via different ways. Uh, there's some of that. I will say that it, it feels like a lot of the areas I'm accessing is thanks to this rat or this shadow walk uh, ability I have. Um, but maybe there have been other ways to get in that I haven't seen. Um, because, I mean, there are, like, like this clockwork level is crazy. Like, there's this one room that is two rooms stacked on top of each other. So there's also a top and then there's also a middle section. And... Like, so at any time you can hop in the middle or hop on top of it. And like, that takes you to other areas. And like, there's another room that like fully rearranges itself. And if you jump out at the right time, you can get into like the wall area where like the Mac the actual mechanic, mechanical stuff is happening behind the scenes. That and, like, sounds that weird. You can snake around. Yeah. It's bizarre. Um, and it's very, very confusing. And it makes me appreciate <laughs> how, straightforward by comparison the city areas were um even though some of those are pretty tough to navigate to um but in general i'm having a pretty good time with it even though i'm i'm a little disconnected from the story and what's going on um the actual gameplay stuff while challenging can be rewarding um 
I made the mistake of buying, not the mistake, uh, but maybe a mistake of buying Dynasty Warriors 9. <laughs> um, yeah, you've been uh, surprisingly looking forward to this for a while, it seems. Well, just because it sounds so bizarre. Uh, it's open world. It yeah. has fast travel. There are towers yeah. that you climb to show off more of the map. Resources yeah. that you can pick up while riding your horse or running around. Items you're crafting with those resources. You are leveling <laughs> up and allocating points into attributes. You are upgrading your weapons, crafting better weapons, going on side quests, sitting through long bits of terrible dialogue and like really bad in-engine cutscenes. Like, what is happening? This is not the <laughs> Dynasty Warriors of yeah. old. It's so Ubisoft bizarre. made a Dynasty Warriors game. It's weird. Um, the voice acting is so, it's so bad, and the writing is awful. <laughs> it's just the most up-its-own-ass crap. And the mm. game runs horribly. I would say 80% of the time, I'm sub-30 frames. Yikes. Easy. Um, and this is not a good looking game. I mean, game. that's this not a PS3. That's not game. surprising for a Dynasty Warriors game, sure. but you would certainly hope that on a new console, new horsepower, they could figure out how to make it work. Yeah. And so the quick look I watched on Giant Bomb, I f- bet they were playing on a PS4 Pro because it ran okay. really well for them. Got I'm it. playing on a vanilla ass PS4, so maybe that's the problem. Um, there are a couple of small improvements to the combat, like there's lock on. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's been in previous ones, like the more recent ones. I have not played. I haven't played a Dynasty Warriors since six. I skipped Same. seven and eight, uh, and all the like uh, Samurai Warriors stuff. Um, so there's lock on, and there are triangle prompts. So when an enemy's about to attack you, you can hit triangle and counter oh, them. Huh. Um, and then when you're locked on, you can just like fucking go. Right. And your dude's just fucking them up, and then if you <laughs> fuck them up enough, you hit triangle, and it's a one hit kill to finish them off. Jeez. So, like, those enemy, and there are more and more enemies that have multiple health bars now. Like, yeah. all of the regular soldiers around, like, a named captain guy, they have multiple health bars. Hmm. Um, and they're, like, they do more damage and they're a little bit tougher. So, like, that's interesting, at least. And there's a new thing where you hold L1 or R1 and the four X square triangle and circle buttons have different types of attacks like the triangles the launch one squares like a force oh, forward okay. so a little more depth some, to the combat yeah circles like a little more min, like a mini muso attack thing and hmm. x is something else i don't know um but there's a lot more juggling than there used to be okay. i feel like um i'm playing as lu bay i'm going through there and like the the setup for this is so weird it's like lu bay and guan yu and zhang fei mm-hmm. are all together and um like, Those are the three dudes of the shoe right. clan. Those are the three the shoe green dudes. ones. But they like they don't know each other, but they're in this village together, and apparently they're just commoner villagers who like are dressed in like regal robes and shit. And like, but they're just from a village, but they're dressed like this way, and all the other villagers are like in a sweat stained tunic and like shorn off breeches, and that's it, like no shoes. Like, <laughs> they're the three dudes who look really good, but they're just, like, villagers, and they're working their way up in the shoe <laughs> army. It's the it's the weirdest thing. It's so bizarre. Um, and, like, I'm unlocking more characters as I go, so I'm wondering if they have their own campaigns and stuff, kind of like yeah, they I had think in I Yeah, I think I read that they do, but that they're similar to the previous Dynasty Warriors games. You're playing the same missions over and over again just that with would a new make sense. character. 
Yeah. Um, it's bizarre. It's full of systems, and none of the systems are good. Like, <laughs> there's hunting. It's like, oh, you go kill a bunch of wolves, and you get items to craft more bullshit. That's so uh, random. That's, yeah, it's so weird. And the side quests are ridiculous. It's it's either, like, go here and collect a thing, like, go here and kill these dudes, and, like, with this loose story around each one. It's This is a bizarre game. So it's is there an- so weird. Is there enough there that for Dynasty Warriors 10, you would want them to stick with this open world thing? I want them to go back to formula. Interesting. Like, this is a fun experiment, but I hope they don't stick with this. Unless somehow they manage to do it really well. Because yeah. this is not done all that well. Yeah. Like, this... It, it's it's It looks like, in plays like, the Dynasty Warriors team tried to make an open world game. Sure. But they didn't do it well. <laughs> right. It's like they didn't take in anyone else who's ever worked on an open world game before. <laughs> They've just played them and are like, yeah, we could probably do something like that. Um, it's, oh, it's so weird. Like you have a grappling hook and you can scale walls really quickly. It's weird, man. I really wanted it's you weird. to come in here and tell me how awesome it was. Because I, like, I, mean, I would still be totally down. To I would be totally it's, down to play a new Dynasty Warriors. Like, the combat still feels awesome. And yeah. the benefit of it being open world is your kill counter never resets. It just always what? goes up. It so how many kills do you have? Like 18,000? Well, I only played for a few hours, and it's a lot of running so like around on horseback. 000. No, so I only have like <laughs> 1,600 or 2,000. Yeah. Um, that makes like it said, less guys exciting, are harder now. What? That makes it less exciting to get a lot of kills. Because I was part of the fun of the yeah. like back in like Dynasty Warriors, Dynasty 4 and 5. Like, getting 1,000 kills in a match was like a big feat. Sure. I don't know, man. It's oh, it's a it's a weird thing, and I'm I'll spend some time with it, and I'll see what mm-hmm. it has to offer, and see what's going on. But it's just very strange, very strange. <laughs> yeah. um, and lastly, wait, well, not lastly, uh, second to lastly, uh, I bought Resident Evil Revelations one and two on Switch a little while ago, and I had started it before, but now right. I finally went back and beat it, just like today. Okay. Um, I encountered the boss fight that gave me a lot of trouble when I played it on 3DS, the Promenade boss. Um, I actually died on that boss once, which was a pretty big deal. I actually <laughs> died several times through this playthrough. Uh, I generally don't die in Resident Evil games anymore, so that was kind of a shocker. <laughs> um, the balance on this game just feels like it's kind of all over the place. Like, it's it's really dependent on you running back and scouring every area for ammo because... Uh the controls aren't good. Like I'm missing a lot of shots <laughs> okay. and it's like, Oh, if you shoot it in the head, it does add so much extra damage. Like all these enemies have weak points. It's like, motherfucker. I'm just trying to like center of mass right now. Yeah, dude. That's all sure. I can manage. Like there's zero way I can like hone in on a head. It's like, like what these, I was like, saying about uh prey last episode of like, I feel yeah. forced to backtrack and create more ammo because when I come across one of those little crawly things, I'm like fucking spraying 30 glue gun shots at it because <laughs> I can't right. fucking hit it. Cause my guy can't aim and it's too fast. I hate yeah. that. Shooting should feel good. It should. And in a, in a shooter have, or there, they did make revelations for PC. Hmm. So now I'm like, I should probably go buy it on PC. No, oh, come on. <laughs> buy it for the third time. How many <laughs> Resident Evil games can I rebuy? Um, 
So, like, I miss a lot of bullets, which doesn't help. Um, but, like, the second half of the game really picks up in, like, a fun way because you finally have all these, like, upgrade parts for your weapons and you're finding new, better weapons. So, you're, like, piecing those together and kind of fine-tuning your arsenal in a cool way. Um, uh, and, like, I don't remember, like, the last half of the game at all. And it makes me wonder mm. if I actually beat it on Wii U when I originally bought it. I'm sure I did. I could swear I did, but I don't remember half of that crap that happened. Because <laughs> um, it goes places. It's bizarre and weird. <laughs> well, it's a Resident and, like, There's game. all these different characters you're playing as. Like, there's yeah. the Jill and, and uh, Parker one, and then there's Chris and Jessica, and then um, there's Quint and some other dude. And it's like those trios, and sometimes they mix up and do it with different people, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's weird. It's a weird thing. It's a weird game. Um, but cool. Lastly, lastly, finally, hour and 20 minutes into the podcast, um, <laughs> I played Prison Boss VR. Um, so the basic loop for this one, it's another one of those, oh, you do it with your hands, so it's fun. Um, sure. You're trying to, trying to make contraband while guards patrol at night around your cell, and then during the day, you're selling your contraband or submitting it like to finish requests. Um, you're buying supplies to make more contraband with the contraband you sell, and the prices fluctuate. Um, you're buying furniture that you could hide more contraband in every night. Um, what? So what kind of contraband are you making? Cigarettes, uh, booze, juice, rope, okay. um, uh, nude nudie letters. You're like making hand, hand, letters. hand-drawn smut. Oh, boy. Um, and the, actually, the drawing animation or the drawing of it is actually really funny. It's like a butt. It's like a butt and then like long hair and then like a bunch of scribbles, like words. It's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. And it, you know, there's a this just weird, just weird shit. Um, yeah. So you're you're building that at night and selling it, and you're completing a request, which increase your increase your rep, uh, reputation. Once your reputation's high enough, you earn a way out, and then proceed to the next level. Mm. Like I in the first level, I earned all the reputation pips I needed to, and then they gave me a sledgehammer, and I slammed it against the bars <laughs> and broke out. Uh, and I'm in the next level, so I don't know what the breakout for that's going to be like. Well, then you didn't uh, break been... out very successfully. They just put you <laughs> right, in a different yeah. prison. I just got thrown in the next one. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's kind of hard to remember all the recipes. I think from the main menu, there's a way to view them again. Um, but it has a really fun, like, cartoony art style. Um, all of the characters are like bouncing Veggie Tales ovals, so like like <laughs> and like they talk like, like that's how they talk. <laughs> that's bizarre. Uh, it's like when the guards bounce by at night, they have their flashlights yeah. and their little hats, like their tiny little hats on the big oval <laughs> bodies. Like, okay. um, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, has a fun sense of humor, like when it, like when you learn a new recipe, you grab a film reel and you get transported to a room with the tools you need and like a projector screen, mm-hmm. and there's like a, a silent film, like the words show up and then the dude's face talking and then the words show up. Um, there's a weird thing on startup though, where every time I start the game, I have to alt tab out of it and then back into it to get it like to actually work, which is really weird. Hmm. Um, might just be my system that does that. Um. And then board games, I bought Near and Far, which is a companion kind of sister game to the game Above and Below. That sounds right. Yep. Above and Below, Above Near and, and Far. Below, near and Far. Uh, shares the same art style, and the art style is awesome. Uh, some which of the is what? Can even, What's the art style? Uh, like kind of pastel, cartoonish, 
a lot of browns and blues. Uh, so this, this is not this is not a greens. spooky. It's not a spooky game. No, no, okay. no. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Some of the pieces can even be used in both games, kind of like a mini expansion, oh, which okay. is kind of neat. Um, this this one in particular. So the other one is like, um, kind of not a. It's not a deck building game. It's like you're trying to satisfy all these requirements and like earn victory points by going down into the dungeon and doing stuff, and then you're up in the village by day trying to get supplies and build your arsenal so you can go down in the dungeon and do stuff. Um, this one has more like light tabletop RPG elements. Um, there's like four different ways to play the game too. Hmm. Um, like uh, so the, the first adventure, like it has you play the first adventure. Um, this is like the easiest version of the game they could make like distilled kind of trying to give you pieces of what everything does. Like you're building camps and you're buying treasures that give you abilities, like increase stuff to certain roles and like increase ability to like go out and adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, you're securing trade routes like out in the world. You're fighting threats, um, and then when you're back in town, you're like you can either go mine or you can get resources like coins and food and stuff to trade up. You can duel other players in the town for reputation and okay. like, yeah. Um, and whoever has the most journey points at the end wins. Now there's another way to play the game where it's like a full quest because right. it comes with a rule book, a quest book and a map book. And the map book you like fold across different maps uh, and like different levels. So layouts and different trade routes and stuff that you can secure each time. And there's like a full campaign that you play across all the maps um, and then there's like more character focused one where you actually have these little mini character sheets where there's like spaces for traits and like inventory and skill slots and stuff. So that one's like more the most tabletop RPG mm. light thing uh, mode that you can play. Uh, yeah. And then there's just like an endless like arena arcade arcade mode is what they call it, where it's like a bunch of quick one shot scenarios that you're playing. Um, and like the quest book has all these like based on which map you're playing and which number you're on for the quest, like you do this scenario and you can, it gives you a block of text and you have to choose this option or this option. And it tells you the skill roles required. And then if you make them, then you get the thing. If you don't, something happens, stuff like that. Um, so it's really cool. I like it. I like it a lot. I think the, like art style is fun. The little encounters are cool. Like there's a lot of little world building in those encounters. Yeah. That's, that's pretty neat. Um, and the fact that it's like a sister game to this game I already have and like, right. that's even cooler. And um, how many, like how many people is this meant for? Two to four. So I just okay. played it with my friends. So cool. It was just the two of us yeah. going head to head. Um, but yeah, I liked it. It was, it was a, a good buy. Cool. Well, Ooh. I guess now we can move on to some news after we've talked about everything. It's tough, man. Like when you do it every two weeks, we've been playing and watching a lot of stuff and there's a lot of news. Yeah. Some Lots hefty podcasts. About. So um, I guess these first couple things are more just like announcements than things to talk about. But The Surge 2 is happening. So we're getting a sequel to The Surge, which I am shocked by this. Uh, They're aiming to release in 2019. I know you played a bit of The Surge, right? Yeah, I got to like the first really big boss and never beat him. Um, I tried a few times to beat him and then something else came out and I started playing that instead. Right. Um, I mean, like, I'm not. I'd like to go back to it. 
I'm not big on that genre. I know you like the kind of Dark Souls style more than I do. I like yeah. the I like the vibe of this, it being like the broken down technology kind of thing. It seemed cool, but just gameplay wise, I'm not really into that style of game. Uh, but they have come out and said that they're trying to keep a lot of what made the first game work and fix a lot of what made the first game not work, which is about the thing that you would say when you're going to make a sequel. <laughs> yep, we're keeping the good stuff, fixing the bad stuff. So, yeah. but they did they they made it specific of, you know, in the surge, kind of one of the core mechanics was you targeted different limbs in combat and you did different right. damage and they had different weaknesses, that kind of thing. And I mean, I never played it, but I read and saw that it seemed like it that part of it functioned pretty well like it was pretty it easy to target the different pieces yeah so they're definitely going to keep that um they want to expand on the types of bosses and um different variations of that they said that they're moving away from the kind of deserted junkyard vibe of the first game and making it more kind of in a city which seems okay. smart uh the visually the game seemed a little boring and monotonous from my yeah. outside perspective so making it more of like futuristic city i think is a cool smart change to make it a little more visually interesting so that's supposed to come out in 2019 we'll see if that happens probably not because it's a video game um <laughs> we have a launch date for vampire not vampire i was corrected on this by watching a video it is it is spelled v-a-m-p-y-r but it is pronounced vampire oh which really? seems dumb to me but apparently that's the case <laughs> I like so Vampire. No, I like Vampire too. But uh, there, we have a release date now. It's coming out on June 5th, which I thought is like... We talked about this last episode, I think. But it seems pretty close considering what we've seen of the game. And yeah. not that it necessarily felt unfinished. It's just we haven't seen a lot of the meat and potatoes of what the game is. Like extended gameplay, minute to minute kind of stuff. We haven't seen a lot of that. So right. I'm kind of surprised that it's releasing so soon. Um, well, I already but, have I mean, a pre-order, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm still really interested in the game, so uh, I hope it comes together. Yeah, me too. And then we have Assassin's Creed Origins. We've talked about this mode a couple times, that more, more educational mode, discovery mode, I think it's called. Or discovery tour, it's called. Uh, that actually comes out on the 20th of February, so very soon. It is free yeah. for everybody that owns the game $20 on PC if you don't own the game, so you can just buy it separately. And again, this is much cooler than I would have even thought. So it's built like a historical tour would be. So you kind of walk up to a thing and voiceover kind of narrates you through and you explore as you go and you kind of follow that narration. They said they have 75 tours, anywhere from between 5 to 25 minutes each. Uh, and that covers things like, you know, Egypt in general, Alexandria, the pyramids, how they were built, and just like daily life of Egyptians and, and those kind of folks, as well as like the Romans and kind of Greek influence, all that kind of thing. Yeah, that seems fascinating. Yeah, man. I mean, I doubt I will spend a ton of time doing this, but if it is as good as it sounds, maybe I will. But I like super want to at least try it out and kind of see what quality it is, especially because I really liked Assassin's Creed Origins and... I'm like, for as much as I don't think the game looks great technically, the art the art design and kind of that attention to detail is fantastic. So all of that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about the history. Yeah. And then um, we have Evil Within 2 is getting a first-person mode, which I think actually might already be available. So Yeah, it I, did. I, yeah. 
The, the article I, I doesn't have like I, a release date or anything, yeah. but uh, I, I've it makes seen it sound like it's already it. available. Um, I, I thought you would be interested in this because I know how much you loved Evil Within 2. Is this something that you would want to play through in first person? I don't know. I feel like the stealth would be really hard in first okay. person. Um, and it seems like they didn't adapt much of the character's animations to accommodate for the first person uh, view. So there's like a lot of bobbing, yeah. like a lot of movement yeah. and stuff of like the weapons and hands and all that. So I'm, I don't know. I, I'll try it. I'll see what's what with it. Right. But, um, I, probably would still prefer to play in third person i would imagine first person kind of ups the terror levels the horror vibe yeah yeah just because like you're not as aware of what's going on around you yeah yeah and so next one so i normally don't like to talk about like rumor mill stuff just because i don't qualify that as being news but in this case it seems pretty legit that we're supposed to hear next month in march about uh, a Spyro the Dragon remaster. This is something that I honestly thought would never happen because Spyro kind of made that transition to being kind of the lead of the Skylanders thing. Right. Um, But the rumor says that this is being developed by Vicarious Visions, who are the same folks that did the Crash Bandicoot remaster, which makes sense to me. They, by all accounts, did a great job updating that kind of updating the gameplay and the visuals and the, the mechanics and like redesigned a lot of pieces of it. So all that sounds super smart. Yeah. Uh, and this apparently will be the first three games, which are the right three to do. Those are the yeah. insomniac yes. games. Yeah. And it'll be coming to PS4 and then eventually other consoles because apparently the crash game will be coming to other consoles as well. It was a timed exclusive on PlayStation, but Interesting. I guess it's going to other ones, which I didn't know. Uh, and this will be the similar case. So huh. we'll we'll know next month if this is true or not. It certainly sounds logical for them to do this. And yeah. I, for one, would be super pumped. I loved the Spyro games growing up. So it'd be really fun to revisit those. And what is even better, because I didn't really get into the Crash Bandicoot one because of how difficult those games were. I was like, I don't need to relive that difficulty piece. <laughs> Spyro's not that. It's that 3D platformer kind of thing. That's just yeah. a fun game. So I, I would love to go back and play those. Yeah, I, I was. I think about Spyro every now and then. Yeah, same. Um, more, more than I do like other PS1 era platformers like that. Um, right. So I, I think I would like to revisit that if they were to, if this were to come out. Yeah. And then we have some bad news for fans of System Shock. So there was a Kickstarter to remake the original System Shock. And they've been working for a couple of years now, three or four years. They recently announced that they're putting the project on hold. They're not canceling it, just putting it on hold. The explanation was that, I mean, the Kickstarter earned $1.3 million, which was like way over what they were asking for. And because of that, they just got really ambitious. And they started kind of redesigning a lot of aspects of the game and had to kind of reset and say, this Kickstarter was for us to remake the game, not like completely change the game. And we're kind of doing more than what we should. And we're not really delivering on what our Kickstarter backers wanted. So the kind of lead developer came out and said hey we're just going to put this on hold rethink our development and we'll come back to it and deliver what we promised to to deliver which 
I really respect. Um, on the one hand, I kind of would be curious to see what they were going to do to the game to make it more updated and new. But I totally understand the perspective of wanting to, to deliver what they said they were going to deliver. And you certainly can't blame them for that. Uh, yeah, I just I hope played, the game still happens. After I played one time. of their early demos yeah. um, that they had made available for a short time. I think it was on Steam. And maybe it still is. Um and it played, um, it played identically to the first System Shock, but it okay. looked really good, like a new game. I mean, obviously gotcha. it was still pretty buggy and certain things weren't working because it was like just a basically like a technical test proof of concept demo. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it played just like original System Shock, but looked really good. And that's what I thought they were going to go with. And I feel like that's probably what people want. Okay. Um uh and, and so maybe this is kind of realigning with that initial vision right because um, what they were doing was like oh we're implementing like uh, a new physics engine and like when you freeze enemies you can hit them with a wrench and they break apart into this many pieces and that mm-hmm. many pieces um like they dynamically break apart and stuff like that's cool right. but that feels like more of an action game than the original system shock f- did um so, I mean, I guess I should say I've only played System Shock 2, which I know is a little more of an action game, but I mm. have heard that the original System Shock and what people like about it is it's more of a puzzle RPG-like right. yeah. game uh, with a little bit of combat mixed in, and that's what I was expecting from this, and then it began to lean more heavily in a System Shock 2 kind of way and people seem to kind of negatively react to that online that makes sense so make it makes sense for them to go back to that initial vision um yeah so hopefully it still comes together i hope yeah i mean that kind of development change is rarely like great but at least that they're they're being transparent about it and hopefully they can kind of get everybody back on the same page and move forward because right I mean, as someone that doesn't really have nostalgia for the original System Shock, other than how it influenced Bioshock, I would right. love to like experience this and with a new lens and kind of see them, a modern version of that game. So I'd be looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, in between our recent podcasts, we had the D twenty three, like the Disney Expo. So we had lots of like news about Star Wars stuff and different Disney stuff, and we also got more updates on Kingdom Hearts three. <laughs> so have you? Did you watch these trailers? I did. Yeah. So okay. So there were a There's couple different. Yes, there were a couple different trailers. There are two that I'm going to talk about. One of which was specifically about like the music and the theme song, which had a couple little things, a couple little nuggets to discuss. And then they had an actual story trailer, which was like a more traditional trailer. So I guess yeah. the first one to talk about the, this theme song trailer, the theme song itself I thought was awful, but... Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. The original Kingdom Hearts theme song is, is also, also a pretty terrible, terrible song, right, but it really itself. works. Yeah. yeah, it works in the game. So maybe this will still work. Yeah, but the song feels like very Americanized J-pop, which is like the worst thing you could possibly do. Yeah, in the but that's world what of the music. other two games were too. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. They're they're staying so, with their chosen aesthetic. Yeah, this one just um, it it didn't yeah. have as much heavy stuff going on in terms of like um, the instrumentation and stuff. Like, there wasn't as much of that going on in this, for sure. So I think I mean I guess 
both trailers showed some similar pieces, but in the theme song one, we got like it showed um, the Toy Story world, which I think is the first time we had seen the official Toy Story world, right? They've shown it before. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've I, seen I it did, in the previous trailer. I did like that because in a lot of the previous Kingdom Hearts games, for certain worlds, kind of the main characters, their costuming changed to fit the world, like the Halloween Town, that kind of thing. Yeah. In the Toy Story one, like they look like action figures, like they have like the creases in the arms yeah, and the elbows, joints. which I thought like that just looks really fun. Yeah, and I like it. They they can lean more heavily into it because of you know the PS4 and stuff. It's a lot more powerful. They can do a lot more visually, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, I really like that because they also did the Monsters Inc. one where they look more like monsters and they have that kind of fluffy vibe to it, like the Monsters yeah. Inc. movie, which I really we'll, enjoy. Well, I just say all the character models in that world looked really good. Yes, absolutely. Like, really good. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you see the Keyblade for Toy Story? No. It's a cactus with the Andy hat on it. Okay, all right. It's pretty good. I did notice because I wrote that down too. There, like, and this is from the story trailer. But kind of on that bottom left-hand corner where it normally shows, like, the moves and stuff you're doing, it changes. It changed a lot in the trailer for the weapon that he was – that Sora was using. Because there was one where, like, it was a, a hammer that he was using that looked yeah. really freaking weird. I thought I wrote these down. I'm trying to find in my notes. Yeah, it's almost like in addition to summons, they have, like, special weapons that you can summon for – right. Like right, different like, well, yeah, modes they, of attack. They did like the 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 teacups kind of special move, and just in yeah. general, like this seems so fucking over the top. There's so much yeah. shit happening on screen at all times, and I like that, but I'm also like a little afraid that it's going to be completely overwhelming and like really hard to follow. There just seem to be a lot of special moves that you can do, so yeah. I, I'm not sure. Um, there, it, they also showed in the uh, theme song trailer the ten, more of the Tangled world. Where I saw like a keyblade where it was like a flower, kind of a sun thing that he uses yeah. and shines a light kind of stuff, which was fun. And then uh, toward the end, they show Riku like with Mickey and he has what seems to be a keyblade, but I thought it looked like the Soul Edge sword from Soul Calibur. It has like an eyeball and like it's all like veiny, gross. Well, no, that's that's the um, I think it's called Soul Edge or Soul Eater. It's from the first Kingdom Hearts. It's the keyblade that Riku has. It looks way different in this, I thought. Well, th- it looks like it's been combined with another Keyblade almost. Yeah, maybe. Because there's, there's, just... there's like a wing or some wind or something on the yeah. handle. It's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like it was like combined with another Keyblade. It just know, like man. it looked vaguely like alive to me, which I thought was really bizarre. Uh, uh, and then he does say at the end of that trailer, and he like throws it down in the sand, and he says, in case the other me needs it. Which I was like, like no, what? fucking come on, please, just streamline just means, the story. Maybe he just means the nobody. Because what what happened? It, it's when how does a nobody form again? Dude, it's when I a person have becomes no, a heartless. There, there is literally nothing in this entire fucking world that I understand less than the Kingdom Hearts story. What about Metal Gear? I could give you a better sum- summation of Metal Gear <laughs> than I could Kingdom Hearts. And I've played the Kingdom Hearts games. Well, actually, I haven't played like the side games. But it is so obtuse and, frankly, downright fucking stupid, sure. the story in Kingdom Hearts. So I like I was hoping beyond hope that they weren't going to lean into that. In the story trailer, it seems like they're leaning into it for sure. 
So we'll see if it makes any fucking sense to anyone other than folks that have put thousands of hours into all the side games. I don't know, man. Kingdom Hearts. Um, But yeah, so the story trailer kind of gives more context to the actual story of the game. Um, I felt... I don't know. The game... I feel like you can tell its roots as a PS3 game. A lot of the character models and like facial animations are less than fantastic. I also felt like the organization, like the bad guys with the black robes, they look straight up not only like Final Fantasy characters, which is on purpose, but they look like they actually picked the character models out of Final Fantasy 15 and put them into Kingdom Hearts. Like they look like they belong in two different games, which is a bit weird. Because like... In the previous Kingdom Hearts, they all looked the same. Like, the same type of face and the big feet and the all the, all the stuff was the same. But in this, they look like they're from two, two different games. Like, Sora looks the same as he has in previous games, but the bad guys look like they're from a Final Fantasy game. I don't well, know. Like, Does the Final Fantasy characters from the original Kingdom Hearts didn't have the big... Like, Leon didn't have big feet. You're right. You're right, but they were visually styled like... Sora was like they looked like they could exist in the same universe, and these two just didn't to me. Huh? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe, just... yeah, maybe it's the faces. Yeah, maybe, uh, like the faces, the the features on the Final Fantasy ones are a little too modern and sharp. Right, and yeah, more detailed okay. than the, than like Sora's are. Maybe I that's what that. it is. Uh, <laughs> so I first watched a Japanese version of this trailer. Well, because the trailer is Japanese, but there's a one with English like subtitles right and uh the one i watched was just japanese and so i had no idea what the fuck was going (laughs) on but i did really enjoy listening to buzz and woody from toy story with japanese like speaking japanese (laughs) yeah i thought mike was fantastic yeah mike wazowski (laughs) was also very good yeah that was very funny um so it shows some like combat in the Monsters Inc. world, the Tangle world, the Toy Story world. Again, it just seems like it's totally batshit. There's so much stuff going on. Uh, and then one other little thing that I saw, there was like a Little Mermaid summon. So yeah. that just made me hopeful that we don't have to go back to the Little <laughs> Mermaid world because those were always the worst parts of the Kingdom Hearts games. Yeah. And then the trailer ends with a coming 2018. So n- no, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. It's been in development for a long time. I right. can see it happening. But I don't believe you. Until I'm holding it in my hands and I'm putting it into my PlayStation 4, I do not believe it, that it will come it, out this year. They said 2018 would be a big year for Final Fantasy fans. Maybe it's just because there's Final Fantasy characters in Kingdom Hearts 3. I can't. I just can't. I can't get my hopes up for it. I can't do it. I, I hope I'm you wrong. did it, Squall. That's <laughs> Leon. Leon. I hope I'm wrong, but I can't. Yeah. I can't I can't get my hopes up. Okay, so this is <laughs> this is a bit of a twist and turning story. So a couple years ago, THQ went out of business. As part of that, they sold off all their properties to various publishers. Um, Deep Silver bought some stuff, and they were kind of owned by I think it's Coke Media, I think you pronounce it, K-O-C-H. Uh, Nordic Games, who were the makers of Darksiders, they retained their Darksiders rights as well as some other stuff. And then I think there was another publisher that bought some of the IP. Through crazy twists of fate, Coke (laughs) Media has just been sold to THQ Nordic, 
which Nordic so Games rebranded as THQ Nordic to become publisher as well as a developer. And so now THQ Nordic owns all of the old properties that former THQ owned. But it's a new company, new management, etc. It's so like weird. fucking crazy how it worked out. Because Nordic, like THQ Nordic, they've gone out and rebought all the different IP to get it back under one roof, which is like good for them. Like that's cool. Sure. Um, yeah. So they own, and, and not only do they own their old THQ properties, but they've also acquired additional properties from Coke Media. So THQ Nordic now owns the Darksiders games, which they already had the Metro franchise, um, the Red Faction franchise, and then now they additionally they have Saints Row, they have Dead Island, uh, because they also acquired Volition as part of this. So they're a much right. larger publisher than they were before. So to me, I don't know, I think that this is probably a positive move. It's hard to know one way or the other, but THQ Nordic, like they seem to be trying to get those franchises back on track. Um, and they, I mean, they've put a lot of work into Darksiders three, which is, seems to be coming together well. Yeah, I uh, can't remember the original reason they closed. THQ. Yeah, was it? I mean, they just went bankrupt. Uh, I thought there was some guy involved. I just, I think uh, they just ran out of money because they were originally supposed to publish South Park Stick of Truth. Right. And when they folded, they that's when they ended up going to um, whoever published that game. I don't remember. Um, maybe maybe yeah. I'm thinking of another developer that crumbled. But there was some guy who had like the biggest stake in the company, but he was like, he got caught on like investment fraud or something, and the whole company went under. I think he was based yeah, out of Long Island or that's something. That's news to me. I don't oh, remember. Oh, you know what? I think you are thinking of the Kingdoms of Amalur developers. Yes. And I don't think that was fraud. I mean, he was an old baseball player, and he just got in over his head. Like, he invested oh, okay. all this money into making a game. He borrowed a lot of money from the state of New Jersey, because that's where they that's had their studio. That's what it was, New Jersey. And, he borrowed money uh, from the state and didn't pay it back. Yes, or and so they just they just took all their assets away. Right. That was yes. that. Yeah. I, I don't remember what... the name of that baseball player. but um, oh, what, what studio was that for Kingdoms of Amalur? Yeah, I can't remember the name. But uh, he had worked with, uh, I think it was R.A. Salvatore on like all the creature designs and the story because he's like a famous fantasy writer. Thirty Eight Studios. Thirty Eight Studios. That's what yep. it was. Yeah, because they originally made Kingdoms of Amalur, which was going to be a precursor to an MMO. Right. Kingdoms of Amalur MMO, and so they made the original game Awakening as kind of like a lead into that. Which and that game was pretty good. I enjoyed that game. Yeah. Uh, a lot of potential. But uh, clearly did not work out on the financial end, unfortunately. Yeah, and they had to, like, straight up take it off the online store and stuff. Yeah, and they had to sell off all, like, all, like, they had to, like, get, they had to give their, like, chairs and stuff from the studio. They had to give everything back to the state of New Jersey because they couldn't pay up on the debt. Um, But, yeah, so THQ Nordic now owns all those properties again. It doesn't seem like anything that's currently being developed is going to change. So, like, nothing is going to change about the Metro Exodus game. Uh, obviously, Darksiders 3 is full steam ahead. They came out and said that after part of this, they will cont- all of these companies and developers will continue to operate as separate entities. But that there's opportunity for, quote, revenue synergies and, quote, partnerships. Which is business speak for, if we need to, we'll take more control over these places. Yeah. So we'll see how things develop there. It yeah. is, I mean, it's a lot of those like mid tier type studios and IP, like the kind of games that 
years ago would come out at 40 bucks. You know, that market doesn't exist a lot anymore. No, it really Uh, doesn't. So, but that doesn't mean that they might not get back into that market because there have been a couple games recently, like, you know, uh, Uncharted Lost Legacy. I mean, that released for $40. So there's an opportunity to release games in that that kind of model, which I'd be interested in that. Kind of a little bit smaller scale, kind of a less investment on the player side. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, Okay, so there is a new PlayStation 4 update that's currently in beta. Uh, I only bring this up because it kind of has a lot of quality of life improvements, which seem pretty sweet. There is a new filter for the games library, which I desperately need because I have like yeah. 300 games in my games library. It allows you to kind of filter by different things. So like a game that you had previously installed, which for me is really good because when I buy a game and I'm like, oh, I'm going to play this soon. I'll go ahead and install it. And then two months later, when I run out of space, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to play it. And then I delete it. And then I forget that I own it. So a game that I bought recently that I would rather play than a game I bought six years ago, I would rather be able to filter and find those kind of recently purchased, recently installed games so you can do all that kind of thing. Right. Uh, they also There's a filter for free PS Plus games, which is smart as well, because a lot of those are like titles I've never heard of. And if I want to kill a couple hours on a weekend, yeah, I'll try out a free PS Plus game that I have never heard of before. <laughs> right. Uh, it also gives the ability to limit playtime for your kids. So like parental controls where you can set like, oh, my kid can play for three hours and then the system shuts off, which is pretty neat. And then the big thing for me is it adds super sampling, which is a graphical upgrade for non uh, 4K TVs. So regular HD TV, it kind of upreses some stuff. It doesn't go full 4K, obviously, because the TV doesn't support it, but yeah. it does make games look a little bit better games don't have to uh support this but games that do i've seen online that people are already saying like yeah it does make a difference so okay that that sounds pretty all right yeah so next piece so these two stories kind of tie into each other so first activision blizzard had their earnings call recently just like last episode we talked about ea's earning call so activision blizzard announced that they made Four billion dollars last year, specifically with microtransactions. Now, in this instance, microtransactions is a broad definition that yeah. include it does include loot boxes, but it also includes in-app purchases for mobile games, which is a big part of their business. It includes yeah. DLC as a microtransaction, so it's not purely like loot boxes made them four billion dollars, which I've seen a lot of news stories kind of leaning into that part of it, which just isn't true and it's clickbait and I hate that shit. But it is worth mentioning as well that close to $2 billion of this, which is almost like half of this total amount, came from King Games, which they're like the Candy Crush developers. So, They they also did like Battle Royale, Clash Royale, or not Battle Royale, uh, Clash Royale and... um... Uh, Clash of Kings, stuff right. like that. So those games that have huge whale yes, customers that spend that like twenty grand. Money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yes, it's a shit ton of money that come from these things. But if you dig that next level deeper, which God forbid, quote unquote, gaming journalists do, if you dig a little bit deeper, it's not just like four billion dollars in loot boxes. There's a lot right. of other pieces to this. It obviously, clearly, to them. Those microtransactions, those loot boxes are giving them a financial return. 
just like with EA. So we will see these big companies continue to play around with that business model. Um, so I don't know. It's I wouldn't qualify it as like good news necessarily because I think that a lot of the ways that loot boxes are implemented are poor. But as we talked about last time, like I'm not inherently against the concept of a loot box. If it's Same. if it's cosmetic, if there's an easier way to earn that stuff in game, I'm totally fine with giving people a shortcut. That I have no issues with that. It's just the way that these games have been implemented seem to be designed in a way that make you feel kind of forced and obligated to spend real money. And that's where it breaks down for me. Yeah. And uh, Sea of Thieves kind of released an update. It was maybe like a week ago that was basically saying, um, or a statement, not an update. It's basically saying there will be loot boxes, but it's all cosmetic. It's like for pets and you will still be able to buy them with the in-game gold. Right. So, right. Um, it's all cosmetic stuff. There is a way to do it right. And yeah. and in those instances where me, as someone who doesn't super want to spend extra money because I would rather invest the time, if I'm given an easy way to earn those things by playing the game, I will do that. But if other people don't want to, they don't have the time, or they would rather just drop five bucks to get that hat they want, if that money goes back into the hands of the developers for them to continue to make good content... I'm not contributing to that, so I'm totally okay with it. Right. It's where like I have a disadvantage over someone that spent more money. Yeah, that's, that's where it's like that's fucked up. So speaking of, we've talked a lot about kind of legislation around loot boxes and microtransactions and how they're related to gambling, etc. So a while ago, some politicians in Hawaii had mentioned like trying to put together a piece of legislation about this. They have that piece of legit, or I guess it's two pieces of legislation together. The first bill says that microtransactions, like that add-on purchases that are loot box associated, where there's there's an element of randomness, will be qualified as gambling, and therefore can only be purchased by persons 21 and over in the U.S. Or I guess specifically in Hawaii in this instance. The second piece of legislation says that uh, companies have to disclose the probability of getting certain items from these loot boxes. So this kind of fundamentally hinges on are loot boxes gambling, which we've talked about. We both kind of agree that, yeah, they they are more than they aren't. Um, so this seems smart. It seems like a smart way to protect children in particular from yeah. doing this. Uh, and obviously, parents. Well, sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Getting the government more involved in video games is a slippery slope. I'm not going to deny that. But we're clearly at a point where we can't rely on publishers to exercise good sound judgment in this instance and to think of consumers over profit. They've proven that they're incapable of doing so. And so having some sort of slap on the wrist, getting them back in line and some sort of regulation around this seems smart. Uh, and, and obviously seems like we're, that's where we are right now, unfortunately. That's just where we are. That's what has to happen, I personally believe. So the ESA, who is kind of the non-governmental body that regulates the gaming industry, they basically came out in response to these two bills and said like, no, man, what we're doing is good enough. And I totally get why they would say that. One, because they it's currently their job to regulate that. So, of course, they're going to say, we're doing what we need to do. And two, what they said about, like, what we're doing is working. Like, no, it fucking isn't. It, it just isn't, clearly. Like, if something like Star Wars Battlefront 2 happens with those microtransactions, 
the regulations that are in place are not working. So if we right. have to turn to the government to do it, fucking so be it. The American government is <laughs> not the best, but uh, something needs to happen. Something needs to change. And uh, so at this point, like, I'm on board. I'm worried about what that might mean for future regulations, especially with, like, how a lot of old guard politicians tend to look at video games. There's all right. this stuff about, like, you know, we talked about this too, like video games being addictive and how they always blame violence on video games and kind of yeah. that, that circle of life. Like every new thing, there are the old people that blame it for all the world's problems. Right. As long as we don't go too far into that dark future, I'm okay with this sort of, like, level setting. Yeah, I just don't want it to open the gate to something more sinister. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think at the very least... You know, disclosing the probability for the items within the loot boxes. That's what China does. And yeah, China they already care. have that. Yep. yep so yep. Yeah, China don't care. <laughs> if China does care about this, then yeah. maybe we should too. And, and in same. that instance, like there is no negative to right. the consumer. To like obviously, it, you could say as a publisher of games, like well, that's negative to me because now people know that they only have a two percent chance of getting what they want, so they're not going to spend money. But th- right. that is inarguably. That is good for consumers. Yes. The first piece about only being able to sell to 21 and over, that's more inherent to like, is it gambling? Is that a fair thing for the government to say? That there's certainly discussion to be had. But right. purely purely giving that probability, I literally see no argument against that. Yeah. I mean, it's like like food, like... Uh food distributors have to yeah. put ingredient lists and calorie counts <laughs> it's and shit nutrition like that. facts for video games <laughs> yeah nutrition uh, give me my nutrition facts for my loot boxes bitches right Come on. yeah absolutely <laughs> contains zero percent of your daily value of protein yeah yeah it contains uh contains zero percent of your daily value of this purple hat <laughs> yeah um, and so moving into the world of broader entertainment news, um, I'm prepping myself for this conversation cause I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah. So the creators of game of Thrones are making star Wars movies and it's unannounced specifically what they will be. Because they aren't going to stop working on, aren't start working on it until Game of Thrones wraps, which won't be until like 2019, 2020. And so we wouldn't see those movies until, you know, 2023. The larger piece is like, I've been a hardcore Game of Thrones watcher since the beginning. I've read all the books. I'm a big fan. I, I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the past couple seasons of Game of Thrones have not been great. And it's because they've moved beyond the books And so it's purely been up to the writing team, to those executive producers, showrunners, to decide the direction and the stories of the show. I think they've done a bad job of that. So now putting another franchise that I love, Star Wars, in their hands makes me a little nervous. Because to me, they have not proven that they're capable of creating that original high-quality content. So that's kind of my piece on that. I That's will the say, general consensus I seem to see online yes. in my circle of social networking. Is right. that people are less excited about and into the most recent Game of Thrones content. Yes. So I, yeah. And yeah. and that's what's crazy. Like if this announcement had and because the second piece is, I've been phenomenally bummed out by every Star Wars movie we've gotten under Disney. 
you know, episode seven, which I thought was a fine, it was okay. Episode eight, which I thought was really disappointing. Rogue One, which I thought was pretty bad in a lot of ways. Like the movie, the Star Wars movie that, that, that Disney has made, I have not thought to be great. And so one, I'm not super excited about David Benioff and D.B. Weiss making Star Wars content. But two, I'm not even that excited about more Star Wars content. Because add on top of this, like obviously we have episode nine. There's the Solo spinoff movie. There are a couple other spinoff movies that they've talked about. Like a Boba Fett one, an Obi-Wan Kenobi one. Plus, Ryan Johnson is working on his own separate Star Wars trilogy. That's like a lot of fucking Star Wars. Which even as someone that loves Star Wars, even if you told me this was the case four years ago before all these movies started happening... If you told me, like, hey, you're going to get 15 Star Wars movies in the next 10 years, I would have been like, that might be too much Star Wars to give people. (laughs) And now I, like, adding both of those pieces together, I extra feel that way. But think about how many Lego sets and pop figures ah, are going to be, Shay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why they're doing it. Think about how many BB-8 orange packages there are going to (laughs) be. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) It's it's inescapable. It's all a trap. It's all a trap. I don't know, man. And, like, as always, when it comes to things that I love, I will more than happily be proven wrong. Like, I want the final season of Game of Thrones to be the greatest season of the show. I want Solo to be the best Star Wars movie we've gotten yet. I want Ryan Johnson to get his ideas together and make this awesome Star Wars trilogy that's in a brand new time period in a brand new place with brand new characters. I want all of that to happen. But all I can do is react to the current circumstances and what I know, which as it relates to these things specifically is nothing. All I know is D.D. Weiss and David Benioff are making a Star Wars trilogy. Ryan Johnson's making a Star Wars trilogy. I have no fucking clue what either of those will be. But looking at previous work, the direction they're taking Star Wars, what their focus seems to be, I'm not excited at all for this. And knowing how excited I would have been four years ago to think like the dudes behind Game of Thrones, the one of the best shows on television right now, are going to be making more fucking Star Wars movies. And this is before I've seen any of the new Star Wars movies. Like, holy shit, my mind would be exploding. And I can't even express how sad I am that I'm so far on the opposite side of the spectrum from that right now. So, <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't fucking know. But, as a fun talking point, just kind of like shooting from the hip, what would you want them to do? So, I know like you really burnt out of Game of Thrones because of the, the, the concept and how it killed off characters. But assuming that, I guess to kind of put some parameters around it. For the D.B. Weiss, David Benioff, assuming they did something similar to the style of Game of Thrones. Not like the fantasy, but like it's very drama, very fantasy, uh, very like cast oriented. What would you want them to do? Um, I thought about this a little bit and I think the answer is a Thrawn trilogy. Because they seem to handle like political intrigue and stuff pretty deftly. Yeah, it's a great and the point. Chiss race is very politically and like um, hierarchical, societal motivated. Yeah. Um, and so that might be a decent fit for the kind of story they want to tell. Um, I think that could be really cool. I also hmm. think that Thrawn has been criminally underused in the Star Wars Rebels show. I don't think well, he's had a whole lot of stuff going on from what I've seen so far. 
I would agree, but take it where you can get it because until they added him back into Star Wars Rebels, he was a non-canonical character. I know. So at least he exists now. Yes, but now that he exists, I know that hey, yeah, maybe this is a possibility. <laughs> maybe maybe, Thrawn. maybe yeah. more Thrawn. Maybe, maybe that's more Thrawn. Oh, weird idea, huh? Yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Um, so I, I think something surrounding either like the Chiss or another alien race. Like the the Chiss would be the easier thing to do because they're humanoid. Um, mm-hmm. They're just blue with red eyes and black okay. hair. Um, and I feel like, like they could do some really cool visual things with, like, building out what the Chiss style is. Um, yeah. Because Thrawn's whole big thing, and he's kind of an abnormal Chiss in this regard, but he's very analytical in terms of, like, the art, and he believes, like, that's very critical to what it shows about, um, like, uh, culture and how that reflects militarily and yeah. their problem-solving uh, yeah. for different races. Um, so I would like to see kind of like the reverse of that about like how Thrawn is and maybe the dichotomy of how he is and his society is and like what their art is like and what their like structure is in the new canon and a kind of all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I feel like these guys could maybe handle something like that. I think, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I mean, uh, uh, the, 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 not danger, but like the concern there would be if it was Thrawn specifically, that's set in a time period in between the original trilogy and the new trilogy. So that does kind of lock them in on the types of stories they can tell. But from a broader perspective, thinking of the more political angle of the star Wars universe with different cultures or whatever, and not political in the way that the prequels were not that kind of political, but I think that that idea sounds really cool. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think that could be neat for me thinking of Ryan Johnson and this is just goes back to one of my favorite Star Wars uh, stories ever in the novels would be him to do an adaptation of the Yuzhen Vong storyline. Okay. Which is, for folks that don't know, basically the Yuzhen Vong are a species from a different galaxy. And so they yes. cross over from another galaxy and they don't exist in the Force. And so at this point, like Luke has revitalize the Jedi Order and so it's you know a big Jedi Order and so the Yuzhen Vong come in and they're trying to terraform all of these worlds to make them habitable for themselves and you don't really know a lot about the backstory and why they decided to cross over into this galaxy but you do know that the Jedi who are the premier warriors in the galaxy can't do a ton to stop the Yuzhen Vong because they can't see them in the force and therefore cannot fight them effectively and that was just a really cool interesting twist on kind of the Jedi mentality and yeah. how they go about fighting them. And there's a whole side story with, you know, uh, Han and Leia's twin kids, Jason and uh, Jaina. And Jason gets captured by the Yuzhen Vong and he gets tortured and just starts playing with the dark side. And there's a whole, like, cool story with that. But just inherently, like, the Yuzhen Vong and there being a force from another galaxy that comes in with a complete methodology that's very different than what the good guys can do. I think that it doesn't need to specifically be the Yuzhen Vong because I don't, I don't want it set in what we currently know of as the Star Wars films. So from like episode one to episode nine, I don't, I don't really want anything else to take place in that time. So what you're talking about, like maybe there's an old Republic story they can tell back in the old Republic time period sure. with another space or you know race that comes in and it's that political side of dealing with that Republic existing and struggling with the 
democratic nature of the government, whatever. So in this instance, like maybe it's far in the future from this nine episode kind of saga and it's the the Jedi exist again and there's no Sith, but these guys come in and they're kind of the enemy. I think it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I think a Yuzhong Vong thing in the old Republic, kind of like Darth Plagueis era almost, because mm-hmm. we've not seen any dark Darth Plagueis stuff. Um, right. Like we still don't know who that is. Like everyone thought, um, what's his face from the new movies was going to be Plagueis. Snoke. But he, Snope. Yeah. Um, Snoke. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, we all thought like, oh, maybe he's Plagueis, but he's not. So maybe like, it's a Darth Plagueis era thing, like before the <clears throat> original trilogy, uh, prequel trilogy, the prilogy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that could, that could be cool. And then they could flesh out some of that stuff alongside it too. Yeah. And I mean, even with all that, I'm not sure I'd have a ton of confidence in the creators making something cool, but right. at least like the concept would be more interesting than Han Solo was a teenager. Like I don't fucking give a shit. Yeah. Um, and like the Yuzhong Vong are cool because correct me if I'm wrong, but they're kind of like insectoid in their like monarchical society. Like, cause there's like a queen and they're kind of like worker soldier class. And then, yeah, yeah. Kind of. They're, 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 it's, it, I mean, it's, it's monarchical, it, but they're like a sentient insectoid kind of thing. I mean, they're not really on. insectoid. I, I just I, mean I in the way it. they're structured, like there's, there's a queen and there's like very rigid caste structure. I would think of it more like a traditional tribal structure. So, okay. Which is okay. similar to what you're talking about. Like there's yeah. one leader and then they have like the different levels of folks and then you have like the grunts on okay. the bottom. It's definitely structured All like right. that, yeah. And, and like I um cuz they were in one of the comic series I was reading, but their uh like their ships and stuff were very reminiscent of what was that newer start like the second from the newest Star Trek movie that had it was Khan. Into, into darkness yeah it was like the way khan's ship looked was kind right. of reminiscent of the yuzhen vong well because because all of their ships are alive like everything right. in their lives it's like everything organic. they interact with is alive yeah and that's like that's just like a cool thing yeah a cool like differentiator to make them seem different than a lot of other enemies right so yeah um i guess just to hit on them real quick since we've been talking about solo so we got some new trailers for stuff just to kind of run through them real quick. So there's the, um, and a lot of these came out of like the Super Bowl and things like that. So we got a full trailer for Solo, the new Star Wars yeah. spinoff movie, I guess you'd call it. As you've probably guessed, I have a hard time getting excited about it from the previous Star Wars movies. Also, I mean, it's not even just that I'm, I haven't really enjoyed a lot of the recent ones. It's more just like, it just doesn't look that good to me. Like, the the trailer just didn't do anything for me. I thought hmm. the main guy uh, didn't remind me whatsoever of Harrison Ford, of his Han Solo. It seemed like a completely different character. Um, and there's, like, that bit at the end where they're flying through space with this big tentacle creatures. And I was just, like, it just... The whole thing kind of gave me this, like, been there, done that vibe. Like, it didn't... Nothing about it felt that fresh to me. Um, hmm. I don't know. Did you Did you have different feelings about it? I think it looks good. Huh. Yeah. Well, like what uh, what about it? What about it did you like? Uh, I like the cast of characters. Yeah, I, um, I I like I think the cast is great. Yeah. Yeah, visually I, I I really dig the look. Like it feels very funky 70s space. Sure. Kind very like, like a, very Empire Strikes Back, very Rogue One, that kind of like yeah. dingy empire feel, which I like that. I like that as well. Yeah, and it, it seems like that stuff will be pretty well realized in the in the film. 
Um, I mean, I even even if Han Solo isn't right on the mark, I feel like it, there's a decent supporting cast that will be fun to watch. Yeah, uh, and help and help kind of save the movie from mediocrity. I, I, I love so. all the actors involved. Like, I mean, Woody yeah. Harrelson's in it. You know, uh, what's his face? Oh, shit. Who, who's the dude that plays Lando? The actor. Yeah, that guy. Fuck. I can't think of his <laughs> name. Anyway, he's he's awesome. Obviously, um, Daenerys from Game of Thrones is in it. And yeah. She's really good. So I, I like the cast. I like the characters that are involved. It's just like... I don't know. I like the music of the trailer. Like, I thought the little ticking thing like was effective at yeah. kind of establishing the stakes and stuff. It's just... Something about it just seemed off to me. Hmm. And I, I know, like, reading reports about the behind-the-scenes, I know that movie has been a complete mess. They've had multiple directors, tons of rewrites. The cast didn't come together until the last minute. So I know the production was not smooth whatsoever. Okay. I also, for as solid of a director as Ron Howard is, I would not qualify him as a director that has a particularly specific aesthetic like he's a fairly brown director like he's a very like middle of the road and like he's really good i mean tons of oscar winning and nominated movies he's a very solid director but he doesn't have that auteurship i guess he's a very like vanilla director and so i fear that this movie will lose a little bit of its style a little bit of its uniqueness with him directing versus someone else i don't know sure that's just an assumption but okay we got trailers for some other superhero movies. I don't know, man. I have a hard time like getting pumped and breaking down movie trailers nowadays. But there was yet another fun Deadpool two trailer. Yes, yeah that that movie looks good for as yeah. kind of blasé as I'm feeling a lot of, about a lot of the superhero stuff and those kind of big tentpole releases that I used to get excited about. I'm not anymore. Deadpool two still looks like it's gonna be fun. Yeah. I hope that the movie is as fun as the trailers. Because <laughs> yes. the trailers have been amazing. <laughs> right, um, yeah, they've been really good. Um yeah. Venom I don't I like I can kind of take or leave Tom Hardy. I feel like he always oh, does the same thing in everything Tom he's in. Hardy. I always oh, feel I like he does the same thing. Like he, he, he has he, he has the same walk that he does. Like he's walking down the street and you can see his back and like in the shot I'm like yeah that's fucking Tom Hardy walking yeah <laughs> like I, I've seen that shot 70 times in every other movie uh, he's in um he's got like the the like the hunched over walk thing like the yeah, broad shoulders I can see that I can down. see that um, I think he's a phenomenal actor like to me he's like one of the best actors out there I think I don't know I don't, he just always comes across <laughs> as a bit of a tryhard um I mean hard's in his last name so you never know yeah, but also, my friend was because we saw this before Black Panther, and my friend was mm-hmm. like, "Man, I, they didn't even show the suit. That's so stupid." I kind of like that they're not showing the suit. Totally I wanna, agree. I want to. I don't want to see the suit until I see the movie. Totally agree. Yeah. I I felt like it was an effective teaser, and that's what it was. Yeah. It was a teaser trailer. You see, you see the symbiote just for a little bit. You see like flashes of some of the supporting characters, and like there's it. It, it sets up that a little bit of horror vibe that the movie has going for it. Yeah. I thought it was a very effective trailer. I mean, yeah. it, the movie itself, I'm not like, oh, I can't fucking wait for a Venom movie. Right. But um, I thought it was a good trailer. Yeah. I think, like, Venom and Carnage are the two best Spider-Man villains, in my opinion. Um, I think Carnage uh, is a better villain than Venom is. Carnage is fucked up. Yes. Um, that part of it makes it. But Spider-Man has a ton of great villains. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't have a ton. I just, I like Venom and Carnage the most. All right. Yeah. Um, because they're like weird reflections on who Spider-Man is and yeah. not these like anachronistic villains that are coming in. They're like That's weird, fair. like mirror images that are twisted and warped in different yeah, ways absolutely. that I think are cool. But yeah. And then there's new Avengers Infinity War, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. So this one, like, I don't know, man. Like I said, it's hard for me to get excited. And there's a little stinger at the end of Black Panther that kind of ties it into the Marvel Universe where I was like, this does nothing. We already knew all of this information. There's nothing here to get me excited. Whatever. It was stupid. But it's an Avengers movie. And so I'm not I'm not as excited as I was for the first Avengers movie, certainly. I'm not as excited as I was for Age of Ultron, certainly, because this is now the third one. But the scale of it, seeing all the huge cast and the different things they're doing, I'm still like... I have full expectation and faith that this will be a good Avengers movie. Like yeah. it will be a good superhero movie. Um, so like we don't need to watch any more stuff about it. We already know what it's going to be. Yes. Yeah. Like, I guess that. Yeah. That's yeah. a good way to, to put it. I don't need. I didn't even need this trailer. Right. Really is how is what it is. Yeah. Uh, it, very much the whole time. Like an honest trailers version of this trailer would just be. Oh, these stakes are high. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't believe how high these stakes are. The stakes have never been this high before. Yeah. I can't believe how high they are. And Credits. then it'll end with, Coming soon. you didn't need to watch this. You're going to see this anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Fucking, fucking movie trailers. It's, it's tough because, like, they're, they're, big, they're big things. Like, they're, these are huge movies that are coming out that totally fit into the genre of movies that you and I want to see. It's just... There's so I'm many of them. There's too I'm many. Just, I'm burnout, man. Give me a I'm break. Just burnout. I, break I, me I off need, a piece. I'm, I'm, I, I don't. Ugh, it sucks. Because like I try to live this more positive lifestyle and like not be so critical and negative about so many things. But man, I just if if I didn't get another superhero movie for five years and I didn't see another Star Wars movie for eight years, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I don't. I legitimately don't need more Marvel movies. I legitimately don't need more Star Wars movies. For different reasons. For the Marvel stuff, it's just because we've had 30,000. and the Star Wars, it's more that I've kind of not liked what I've seen. Sure. But it's just, like, the, we talked about last episode, the Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer. Like, I'm sure it's going to be a perfectly fine movie. I love yeah. Paul Rudd. I love Evangeline Lilly. It seems charming. But it's like, I just don't care that much. And that sucks. Yeah. Something needs to make me, something needs to make me excited again. <sighs> yeah, I just, I've been feeling a little blasé about stuff recently, too. I feel like I just I need I need some time. I need time. Please g- please give me time. Stop inundating yeah. me with everything all the time. I need to a be break. honest. Working so hard on getting my game of the year stuff together, which is going up like next weekend, I had to push it back. And getting my like top ten movies up at the end of the month, like the month of March, I'm just gonna like take a breath, and I'll still be like doing things obviously, and we'll still be doing the podcast. We'll still be posting on the website, but that pressure of like, I need to go see a bunch of movies. I need to play a bunch of new video games. I need to do all these things. I'm just going to give myself a bit of a break. Yeah. And I'm trying to like, I'm thinking through, I'm trying not to overthink it because that takes away the point, but I like, I want to play like a game that's old. Like I want to play like rise of the tomb Raider or like go and finally play red dead, like not something new and just enjoy and take a break. Watch a movie that came out four years ago. Like do that kind of stuff uh, next month. So I'm going to try to give myself that. A movie I will not be seeing, here's a segue for our final news story, is the Five Nights at Freddy's movie, which has been in, like, 
limbo for a long time, but it's apparently legit going to happen now because Chris Columbus, who directed the first two Harry Potter movies, uh, I mean, I guess recently that's what he's known for. He's been in the business for a long fucking time. He did a ton of amazing movies. Like, he directed Mrs. Doubtfire, the first two Home Alone movies. Um, he's also done some not-so-awesome stuff, like directing Pixels. <laughs> but uh, So he's had a bit of an up-and-down career, I guess yeah. you could say. Life's but a roller coaster. He, he is now attached to do Five Nights at Freddy's, which like seems fucking bizarre because yeah, I looked through really his IMDb weird. page and I couldn't find another horror movie that he had directed. But hey, Pixels is a horror movie, but for <laughs> very sense. different reasons. Yeah. And it, well, and I guess I mean to be fair, like Home Alone is kind of a horror movie if depending on your perspective. <laughs> I would say for uh, what, all you're trying to do names, is rob uh, this house and this nightmare child. Pulling <laughs> Harry one over and on you. Uh, Lloyd is it Harry and Lloyd? Are those the two? That from their about, from their perspective, right. I think they're that would be a horror film for sure. Yeah. It's like a haunted house, like <laughs> demon place, <laughs> demon child. Um, but. I guess to tie into the horror thing, executive producing this is Jason Blum, who he's like a huge horror film producer in Hollywood. He does like everything. So recently he did Get Out, which obviously was really good. He did the Paranormal Activity movies, the Insidious movies, fucking shit ton of horror films. So right. I'm sure he'll bring that kind of knowledge. Um, Scott Cawthon, who created the Five Nights at Freddy's games, he's attached as a producer. I don't know how involved he's going to be in like the scripting or the actual production of the movie but he's at least attached yeah i mean if you're um, gonna make the movie you have to have him attached yeah I, I think so too it just seems like a weird fucking thing man like yeah. the director of harry potter is directing a five nights at freddy's movie so it just odd. seems quite bizarre one of my kids uh, so, yeah. at school he loves Fri uh, five nights at freddy's he's obsessed mm -hmm. with it so i just know all i'm gonna hear this week is gonna be this new story over <laughs> and over again yeah that's what i have I to look forward to I, I can't lie and say that I give two flying fucks about this movie. I so but, uh, A lot of people like Five Nights at Freddy's, and that seems like a good fit for a horror film. Like, I'm not saying it's going to be a great sure. horror film, but just the thought of, like, There'll be a lot it's an of old jump toy scares. story. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, that's what all the game is. The game is right. a jump scare over and over again. Yeah. So, seems like a good, a good fodder for an American horror film. Yeah. Before we dive into Hate of the Week, uh, so the Olympics, the Winter Olympics are going on. I kind of wanted to just like talk about, so this is just randomly, this randomly came to me. So what if there were video game Olympics? Like what would be at the video game Olympics? So Nintendo did something like this like a long time ago and then brought it back for like one E3, like the really? Nintendo game Olympics thing. They had all what these like Mario challenge levels and like old okay. like... Like, yeah, like, like old classic NES game stuff. So I guess I'm not even thinking of specifically like video games that you would play at the Olympics. Cause like esports, you know, fighting games, shooters, all like all those kinds of things exist. But like, what kinds of things would you do at a video game Olympics? So like, one thing that jumped into my mind was like speed running. Like, yeah. I could see speed running games being an Olympic event. Um, I certainly think the esports have a place, like fighting game tournaments and you know first-person shooter tournaments, that kind of thing. But like, I could also see like uh, Super Mario Maker. So like, they give you an example 
Super Mario Maker level and you have to recreate it. So like the fastest person to recreate the level in Super Mario Maker. Like I could see that being a competition. Okay. And even stuff that's like not even actually playing a video game, but just like video game adjacent. Like fucking uh, juggling amiibo. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> like what would you expect to see at the video game Olympics? Um, probably something about quickest reaction time. Um, to like yeah, that's props. a good one. So like quickest yeah. reaction time would be one. Um, you know, I remember StarCraft, like all those kinds of uh, like all your base or belong to us type games. Right. Um, uh, they would measure. I think it was it was actions per second, your APS or your moves per second, <laughs> uh, something like that. So there uh-huh. would be like one of those, like your actions per second ratings. Um, just like a lot of weird arbitrary stat tracking right i bet i i would imagine um yeah. and then there's probably oh um there's probably vr now right they probably oh, have shit. a vr I didn't section even think about vr yeah you gotta have vr there yeah but there'd be some weird tron ass disc vr game tournament or there could just be like a medley of doing actual olympic events just in, in VR. vr like that could that's be a whole good. like subset that's pretty good <laughs> yeah. the video game olympics vr olympics right <laughs> vr video game olympics olympics it would be yeah because it's vr olympics of video game olympics of real olympics so i guess it'd be the vr video game no it'd be the vr olympic video game olympics olympics Yes, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the thing that we could probably agree on over anything is that this will never happen. From, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> but if it were to happen, people from Asia would win every single event. If it's from Korea or yeah. China or Japan or wherever, people from Asia would win every single event. Yeah. No one else would have a chance. No. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> right, so, I don't know. I was. Because, like, I, I really like the Olympics. It's, like, a fun alternate universe time where, like, all these random fucking sports and everyone gives a shit about them. And I do, too. Like, I wish that they weren't taking place in the middle of the day because I would love to watch them. But it just made me think of what would what random video game shit would be involved in the video game Olympics. Because, like, you know, the yeah. Olympics, they have basketball, they have hockey, all the bread and butter, just like you would have the esports. But you also have the really niche fucking weird things that no one would ever talk about except at the video game olympics yeah so i guess we can uh, move on to hate of the week hate of the week so maybe this is because i have been feeling a bit down and like hard to get excited i've been a little negative lately but playing hard to get well sure but today's hate of the week is very fri- it's a very frivolous complaint essentially. Okay. So, it's just about what has been coined the golden age of television, which we are allegedly currently living in. And that's just the theory that like there are so many different ways to watch TV, so many different ne- like way more quality networks than there have ever been before. Networks that people used to laugh at are now considered amazing like think of 20 years ago amc network no one gave a shit about amc network right the only time anyone ever watched it was on a saturday afternoon because they happened to be playing a random movie 
And now, like, you know, this has been a long time ago, but you had shows like Breaking Bad on AMC, and there are still huge shows on that yeah, network. Walking Dead. Not to mention the proliferation of, like, streaming services like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, and everybody's getting into their own streaming platforms. You have those smaller cable networks that now have really high-quality shows. Networks like Stars that used to only do replays of movie movies, now they have their own awesome shows usa tbs like all these places that used to be about syndication now have original content that is very high quality yeah so this is the it's the golden age of television there is more amazing television than there has ever been before all right so tell me why you hate it because i can't watch all of it (laughs) (laughs) that's too much (laughs) that's kind of the core of it which like i said it's a very frivolous argument i'm not legit I mean, like, I it, it does suck, but I'm not legit mad about it. But, like, I can't watch all this shit. <laughs> it's impossible. It is impossible. So, just for the sake of discussion, I, I, was, I was thinking about this on a little bit of a deeper level. And I do think that there is a bit of a negative to this. Obviously, overall, it's a net positive. More great stuff is, like, never a bad thing. More options is never a bad thing. But one thing that is missing now, because there are so many different things to watch... And because streaming services make it so much easier to watch things at any time you want, that like water cooler show yeah. doesn't exist as much. Right. There People are don't bits talk and pieces, about the shows as much anymore. Like th- there are those big cultural touchstones like everybody watches Game of Thrones. Like there are those shows that stand out that everybody's watching and talking about the next day. But there are a lot fewer and far between. And there are plenty of shows that kind of slide under the radar that are amazing that no one ever talks about because they're all talking about the bigger shows, you know? Right. And so like, I do think that is a little bit of that missing piece. Like that was always something as a person who has a lot of opinions that likes to talk about them. That is something that I miss because there are plenty of times where I'm watching a show that I don't have anyone to talk to about it because no one else has even fucking heard of this show. And it's not because it's like some little minuscule show that, isn't good or whatever it's because everyone's watching a bunch of other shit yeah and they're all watching at their own pace now too it's not like anyone's watching at the same time anymore either yeah yeah and and again that is a net positive like i can go back and watch something that aired a couple years ago like where 20 years ago that would be it i would never be able to watch it unless i wanted to go buy the dvd box set and now it's eventually going to come to netflix and i can marathon it and it's going to be amazing but the opposite's also true where I have plenty of people, like you, for instance, who watch all these shows that I don't watch that sound awesome, and I want to be able to talk to you about them, but I don't have time. I remember <laughs> when you were watching Black Sails. Like, yeah. Black Sails oh, seems like so a fucking good. cool show. Hell on Wheels seemed like a fucking cool show. Also very good. And, and again, like, maybe I'll be able to watch those someday, but there's so much stuff to watch, and there's new stuff coming out every single week where it feels like homework at times to try to keep up. Like we desperately sounds like you need to, to get watch. a job in education, so you have three months off in the summer, <laughs> like I do. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Or get a job where it's my job to watch TV. That'd be even better. There you go. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, it's a very frivolous complaint to have, but it, it is it is frustrating, and I, I think that most people that are big into TV can can uh, kind of get on board with that because I feel like with video games, it's pretty much the same. Like. There are way more great games than you could possibly play, but it's kind of always been that way. Same yeah. with movies. Like, there are way more movies than you could possibly see, but it's kind of always been that way. 
TV, it's been a bit different. It always seemed like there was a huge divide between the cream of the crop and then the rest of TV. And now it just feels like there's so much more of the cream of the crop than yeah. there has ever been before. So, yeah. I mean, it's a great time to be watching TV, but it's also kind of a frustrating time because you can't watch everything you want to watch unless right. you are unemployed. And that's all you do at all times, which doesn't sound terrible, if I'm being honest. Hey, you got to have something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, shoot. when I retire. Yeah, when I retire at 70, high. I can go back and watch Black Sails. Right. <laughs> no, because there will be fucking new shows that I need to watch, so I'm still <laughs> not going to watch it. So, yeah. Um, I guess before we wrap up, uh, so I mentioned last episode, we haven't had any emails or comments and stuff for a while. Please write in. Info at SheaHatesEverything.com is the email address. You can also shoot a message to the Shea Hates Everything Facebook page, or you can shoot me a message on Twitter at Shea underscore Castle. We did get one question in, which is awesome. It did come from my wife, but I'm going to count it as a question <laughs> coming in from a listener. And that is, who's your go-to Mario Kart character? Or do you have one? Uh, Toad. Why Mel is that? Toad. Because uh, he's small. Well, there's he's... only one Toad. Female Toad is Toadette. That's true. Um, he's small. He's squirrely. He gets shit done, man. And he <laughs> is, he gets the mushrooms most often. That's not true. I think it is. <laughs> I'm, I, I think it is. All right. But do you like Does that? Um, like, do you like mushrooms? using the smaller carts? Drops. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Oh. I don't believe this. That that cannot possibly be true. Well, while you're looking that up, yeah, I I honestly don't really have a go-to, and I think it's just how I enjoy playing those types of games. Because I'm the same way in like Smash Brothers. I don't really have a main. I like to experiment with different characters. I will say I tend to lean more towards the larger guys because I like to be in the bigger cart. I like to be able to do some physical cart racing bumping into those little bitches knocking them off the track so I, I you know i play as bowser a lot dk uh king boo those types of characters but i also really like playing as like the weird ver- variations so like i play a lot of mario kart 8 deluxe and like i'll play as metal mario tanuki suit mario okay. waluigi like a lot of the i like the random characters i know kelly's answer to this would be yoshi she only ever plays Yoshi, and she only ever plays green Yoshi, which is even more annoying. Because in <laughs> Mario Kart 8, you have nine different colors to choose from, and she's only ever green. It's stupid. <laughs> um, I did look it up, and because I mm-hmm. pretty much only ever played Double Dash. Um, okay. In Mario Kart Double Dash, each character has a special item, and Toad's special item is the golden mushroom, which is right. infinite spams of the right. boost for a limited amount of time. Also, it says that his carts usually have an extra kick on their drift, which allow him to swerve past sharp turns with ease. So, <laughs> I will say the infinite mushroom, anybody can get that now. That is well, that is a, a thing that anybody can get. Doesn't change the fact that he is the Tom Cruise of the Mario Kart universe in that he is short and a badass. <laughs> and fast and fast and he can run does, down does he, long stretches of asian like... boardwalk <laughs> does he stretch his fingers out like straight <laughs> i would like to think he does although speaking of tom cruise just a real quick aside 
when we went and saw Black Panther, they oh, the Mission played the, Impo- the new for Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible trailer? Fallout looks really good. It looks fucking great. Also, the so, font uh, treatment for Fallout is literally just from Fallout right, the game. Of Fallout. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I've been not underwhelmed with the recent Mission Impossible movie because they're all fun yeah, they're in fun. like a dumb, yeah. over the top action movie way. But like, but this they one actually been... looks kind of good. Yes, none of them have been as amazing as Mission Impossible 1, which right. is probably in my top five movies of all time. It's such a high This bar. one, like, legitimately looks awesome. And yeah. Speaking of, like, getting me excited about some movies and stuff, for as many fucking Mission Impossible movies as there, as there have been, I'm pumped for some Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah. Which, to be fair, is a stupid name. Mission Impossible Fallout. That is a that is a dumb name. <laughs> That's just three good. buzzwords put together. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they just have a dartboard of like one word phrase. Mission Impossible mayonnaise. Mission Impossible <laughs> undertow. Mission Impossible short. Like it's anything. I just realized that the acronym is MIF. So I really hope it's not as bad as the acronym would have us believe. Ayo. Hopefully they don't MIF it. Sounds like a joke from Black Panther. Nailed it. So, to wrap this episode up with some positivity, some even greater positivity than Mission Impossible Fallout. I mean, right? Today, I don't hate having dreams where I'm running Shea Hits Everything as my full-time job, which I've had multiple dreams in the past couple, like past week, where like, that's what I do. I run the website, we do the podcast, I'm like doing the marketing and the Google AdWords, and it's fun as shit. I would love for that to happen. <laughs> that does sound nice. Um, today, I don't hate a good calzone, because right after I went and saw Black Panther, my buddy and I stopped by Benito's over mm-hmm. in Waynesville, Ohio. Uh, a little shout out. That was a killer calzone. I got the jumbo calzone. <laughs> With uh-huh. extra cheese, banana peppers, and pepperoni. And they Sounds give good. it to you, and it's like literally the size of half a pizza, half a large pizza. <laughs> right. Um, so it is a large pizza, but just folded in half. Yeah, just fold it um, over. But they get, they put little slits in it. And mm. so you can just take a knife and a fork, and you cut it into like these little breadstick-like calzone yeah. strips. And you dip them, and oh, it's good stuff. Good stuff. I think it was called Benito's. If, if it wasn't, sorry. But it's in Waynesville, Ohio, and they have great calzones. <laughs> and there was totally a jumpsuit mafia-looking motherfucker sitting in there when I walked in. And I was like, I don't know what year this is. You're going to have the calzone. <laughs> you like the calzone. He was giving me the you eyes, come back too. for more calzones. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't the guy running the place. It was just a dude in the place. Maybe he was the owner. Well, yeah. Well, no. Maybe he's there to my, meet My somebody. buddy who I went with knows, like, he's met the owner before, and... The owner was in the back working, old gray-haired dude. Just I've, let me have this. It's a, it's run by the mob. Just okay. let me have this. Well, no, I'm not saying the mob doesn't take a cut, but maybe <laughs> he's just, like, forcibly right. under the influence of the mob. He's like, an enforcer. He's the bodyguard. He's He has to pay their protection tax <laughs> exactly. every week. Exactly. It's yeah. a your pizza protection tax. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, all right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for note. listening. And, uh, Kyle, thank you for joining me, as always. You got it. And uh, if you guys want to read some opinions on stuff we talked about, you can visit com. I actually have a lot of reviews for a lot of stuff, a lot of the movies and video games we've been talking about. I've been cranking out reviews as much as possible nice. in anticipation of Game of the Year, which is another reason why I can't wait to take a little bit of a break. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you can check that out for some stuff on video games and movies and Television, 
everything we talked about today. Maybe I'll have some calzone reviews. Who knows? <laughs> but <laughs> it doesn't get better than Benitos. <laughs> Eight out of ten. Uh, nine out of ten for the tracksuit guy. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> Although Ambiance. I don't want him coming after me. Coming after me and my family. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess uh, we'll see y'all in the next episode, which will be back to regular scheduled programming going up on a Monday. Thanks y'all for listening, and uh, peace out. Arriva Derchi.